Welcome to No More Room in Hell, number 50. It's been so long since I said that, I almost scratched my throat trying to get out that intro. But really, we, we're, we're back. We're finally back. I think we've had, what, at least 10 false starts by now. But uh, as God is my witness, it's actually happening. So let me introduce my co-host. First up, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How's it going? Greetings and salutations, horror lovers. Mike, I cannot fucking believe we made it to episode 50. Not not just the fact that we haven't done an episode in a few months, but the fact that this insane little project that we put together actually made it to episode 50 with all of our conflicting schedules, me with my, you know, poker and all my other little activities, you know, Derek working ridiculous hours, you with two kids. I, I think it's a minor miracle that we even got to episode 50. So, you know, uh, golf clap. Forever. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because it's like I have the the evidence that we've done 50 episodes, but it's like in my head, it's like you start remembering specific episodes we've done. But when you start listing them off in your head, it's like, wow, we've really done like 49 episodes up to now. It's it's crazy, but it is true. And uh, 50 is kind of a milestone, an early milestone. Obviously, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of our friends in the community have way eclipsed that amount, but I think anytime you start a new show, 50 is like kind of like that first big milestone. But, uh, well, this is my first. That, this yeah. is uh, for me, this personally, this is the first show I've been on that I've actually been on, you know, to a milestone number, you know, like from the beginning. Most of the shows that I'm a part of, either they're fairly new, you know, we just started them over the last couple of years. Or, you know, or there's shows that I kind of joined, you know, like It's Not Horror, where I joined a cast that had already been going for years. But, yeah, this is this is definitely special for me. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, folks. But, yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, th- th- this He's is huge quivering. for me. I've, I've only I, I've only been podcasting like half the time that my co-hosts have. And just to, to hit an episode 50 means a lot to me. So, yeah, I'm very excited. 
Sweet. Well, with that, let's introduce our other co-host that's also no stranger to podcasting himself. That'd be Derek. How's it going, Derek? Long time, no talk. I mean, at least with Venom, you know, I do another show with him, but this is kind of our uh, only regular thing we do together, so it's been a long time. How's it going? Mikey, have you seen my knife? (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, Franklin. (laughs) I'm having fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right welcome franklin to the show he he survived aged well <laughs> i did i was even in that rolling thunder movie with william devane one of the most depressing movies i've ever seen by the way rolling well, thunder holy shit yeah <laughs> yeah um so how's it going guys what what have we all been up to i feel like it's like we've had good holidays New Year's, uh, Valentine's Day's pat. It's like all this, all this stuff has passed that we would usually bring up on the show because we're mixing in shows during all this time. But man, yeah, with all the time that's gone by, I feel like the year's just been moving, and uh, we're already into March of 2023. That is pretty crazy. But hey, sometimes spring is the new beginning, and I know it isn't quite spring everywhere, but March is kind of like when it starts switching over. But wow. Officially yeah. three weeks away, right? Three weeks? Yeah. So the official start of spring, I mean. Oh, yeah. I'll be busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Derek, you coming back to the podcasting scene with a fury? Uh, well, I'm on this show, so yeah. <laughs> I meant outside, because Cinema Attack is still going, right? N- no, it's kind of on like a retirement hiatus right now just the schedules are not lining up with that show right now because of my work schedule because honestly because i work most saturdays close and then i had to go in to work on sunday morning so it's like yeah no more you have to to work a closing morning back-to-back shift yeah that's it's crazy oh yeah, that was that's the fate of one of my shows too. In the Mike of Madness, unfortunately, it's it's just been on an extremely extended hiatus. I, I absolutely adore Rebecca Reinhardt. She's literally one of my favorite people on the planet. But just with everything that she does, and her recent engagement announcement, uh, yeah, it, it sucks. But we may never hear from In the Mike of Madness again, which is too bad because I, I really did love talking to Becca. It makes me a little sad. Yeah, you know, at least we get this show going again. You know, we got this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it happens, I mean. What were you going to say, Mike? No, I was just going to say it happens. I mean, especially the longer you do a show, just it's hard. You know, people's lives change. It's, It's hard to keep up everything the same. And usually like podcasting, which is a leisure activity for everybody, that's like pushed down on the priority list. So when it has to get kind of pushed to the side for a while, that's just how it is. And uh, usually, or hopefully you have understanding co-hosts and you get back together when you can, which is kind of what we're doing right now. So it's good to be back though. I think, you know, sometimes the layoff too can kind of refresh your uh, excitement for it, your enthusiasm to get back and, and talk movies and stuff. So it's not always bad. Yeah, it's no, never no. bad, you know. 
I mean, for me, I never go too long without getting to talk about a movie that I love, you know, being on multiple shows, uh, all the shows on No More Room in Hell, you know, as a as a product. I, I'm lucky enough to be on all of them. How the hell did that work out? Well, I guess technically uh, your show, uh, your newest show, Mike, is uh, the only one I'm not on. I'm not yeah, sure how hell, your Mike? show's going. <laughs> I work with yeah, Mike enough. Uh, I don't need any more shows with Mike. <laughs> Well, that one's a new guest every time, so you guys could end up on there. <laughs> but uh, oh, it'll definitely happen. Yeah, I, I've got yeah. a great movie stashed away for you. <laughs> I got yeah, like seventy-five. And, <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I, and I think like to Venom's point, it's like we do fresh cuts, but it's easy to like kind of almost not count that because the way we do it is such in a ro- robotic nature, where it's like pretty much for the most part, it's like same time, same day. Same, like, we don't change a lot as far as the format, the scheduling. Obviously, when we have to, we will, which is fine, but we kind of have fell, fallen into, like, a good pattern of just we know when and where to show up and bust it out, and it's out, and just kind of a weekly, like, it's almost become sort of like a routine to where you don't even count that among, like, other shows that you have to do all this prep for, you know? Hey, I still do prep. For fresh cuts. <laughs> Honestly, that's my uh, biggest thing with like you know cutting back on shows is like because I was being miserable watching fucking fifteen movies sometimes just for like different shows. Exactly. So I was like, you know, I was like, oh, I could yeah, two movies here we go, three movies here I go. You know, it's like I could do that. I can't be doing that anymore. I'm getting too crazy. Well, especially yeah, if you. Yeah, especially if you're cramming them for a show and then all of a sudden it gets pushed back and you're like, shit, what do I do? Do I like hold these off and then watch them again? Because sometimes I don't want to watch them too far ahead of time. I try to time it up with like, okay, when are we recording? Okay, this is probably the good time to watch them. But then there's that, that last minute like, well, let me make sure everything's good because it's still like, especially if, you know, for like this, when you're doing multiple movies, it's like it is still an investment in time just to watch them. So it's like, let me make sure we're actually recording before I go six hours to watch three movies, you know? Exactly. I mean, that's 100% the reason why I had to, you know, kind of tone down on my podcast. I mean, you guys remember, at a, for a time, I was on double-digit podcasts for a little while. And some of those shows, you know, like Theme Warriors, we, you know, I'd have to watch four movies in, in like a week or two's time, mm-hmm. along with all the other movies. So, yeah, I mean, even, you know, even without kids, I, I just never could find the time to just sit and just constantly watch movies. I mean, as much as I love horror movies, I love other stuff, too. You know, I want to watch a Star Wars movie every now and again. I want to watch some cartoons every now and again. I want to watch some, you know, uh, Asian lesbian porn every now and again. You know, you can't always watch horror movies. (laughs) Nor even just other horror movies that you're not doing for shows that you're just curious about. Yeah, and your favorites, too. Like, the ones that you are always watching. Like, you know, you, the, the your favorites that you watch once or twice a year. It's like, I literally went a stretch where I didn't watch my favorite horror movie for, like, three or four years because I was on so many podcasts. And thankfully, that's not the case anymore. But, yeah, that, that sucks because, I mean, you know, obviously we'll be talking about our favorite movies here coming up. And mine is, like, a monthly watch for me. I watch it a lot. And to go, like, two years without watching it, I, I yeah, I started to have withdrawal. 
<laughs> well, yeah, it's like I want to order like the Dawn of the Dead 4K and the Carry 4K, and there ain't no way I'm not throwing them in as soon as soon as they show up on my doorstep. Yeah, like that's just how it's gonna be. Yeah, for oh, sure. I got at least I got at least a dozen 4Ks here still in the wrapper. I just haven't had the time to watch them. Yeah, same. I just got like the Howlin' 4K. Uh, what else did I get? I still have to bust through like some of the Hitchcock stuff because those are usually at least two hours of pop. So it's yeah. like for me on weeknights, I'm always like, do I start it now? But I'm going to have to pause it because the kids are awake and like asking me to do things. And then by the time they go to bed, I'm like, do I really have two hours in me right now to like throw <laughs> a Hitchcock movie on? Yeah. Hell yeah. Why not, man? At least well, Hitchcock, you know? It's not like you yeah, got to watch it. Uh, it's more about me staying up that late because then you're looking at least 11.30 midnight before it's over. So it's more that. It's not like, do I want to watch a Hitchcock movie? Of course I do. but And then the, the other option is what some people do is watch movies in sections, but I prefer to watch it all in one sitting. Whenever I can't possible. do that, yeah. I, I just can't do that. Like I've, I've thought about doing that. Like If it's like 11 at night and I want to be in bed by midnight or something because I have to be up early – I, I I start to think should I, I could watch like half a movie, but I know the way I am. If I have to turn a movie, like if a movie's good, I can't turn it off. Like I'll just lose sleep. And then if the movie's not good, then I probably won't finish it anyway. So yeah, I I can't do the partial viewing thing as much as I'd yeah. like to. Yeah, I I I've I passed up watching so many movies at night that were like higher on my priority list because I look at how long they are and I'm like. I don't want to have to like turn it off after 45 minutes an hour. So let me just put on this possible piece of shit because it's only like 80 <laughs> minutes, you know? Exactly. <laughs> oh, I can't tell you how many times I've watched like hour and 15 minute long movies just because that's all the time I had. And of course, 99% of the time when a movie is only like 75 minutes long, it's probably crap. <laughs> oh, monster project. <laughs> Oh God! Aquarium of the Dead. <laughs> oh yeah, Gay Fox. That was a great one. I've even tried. I've even tried to start shows because you know episodes tend to be an hour, and I'm like, all right, here's a show a lot of people are talking about. Let me throw on an episode and I'll do that instead of a movie. And I just end up not caring about the show, and I'm like, damn, I just wasted time with yep. with this that I don't really care about. Like, there's so much shit on Netflix that I'll start browsing. And the synopsis looks good, and then I look at it again, and I realize, oh, it's a show, not a movie. And I'm like, damn it, like, just give me a 90-minute movie with the same premise. I don't yeah. need eight episodes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, do, I do like the trend, though, that I'm starting to see, and it's not as much, but there are, like, a handful of shows now that there'll be, like, limited series, like, it's, like, three to four episodes. And I'm like, okay, I can be down with that. But I, I just hate that when you, you, you see something interesting and you go into it knowing it's at least an eight hour commitment. And I'm just like, ah, oh. it, it discourages me so much. And that's funny because this is coming from the guy who used to cover TV horror, but it's just a different stage in my life. Now I, I don't have time. Like if I watch a couple episodes and it really pulls me in and compels me. Yeah. I'll find a way, but man, if, if, if it's an episode or two and I'm not like totally on board and I know there's like eight more episodes, I just, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Hell yeah, man! I hear you. Yeah, I've been getting into but anyways, limited series too. I, I kind of dig them. I, I like the true crime ones. Like Netflix just dropped one about the Murdoch murders. Um, it's only yeah. three episodes, about fifty minutes each, and I actually had a really good time watching that. And that now, that, 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 that trial that coincide with 
did it coincide with the trial or was it information up to the trial? Up to the trial, because the trial's okay. happening right now. Right, right. I think it just ended, right? They found him guilty. Yeah, I think the I verdict believe. came down, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know a ton of details besides when the story first broke, but it seemed pretty clear, like the yeah. dude did oh, it. Yeah. Like, I mean, even yeah. watching the the three part miniseries, you know, they hadn't even gone to trial yet when the thing ended. But like, it's fairly obvious. I mean, if I've ever seen guilt written across somebody's face, it's this guy. So yeah. Yeah, and the, <laughs> the crazy thing, like, wasn't there already like some type of fucked up situation with the family, like the son? Multiple. Like, you got to watch that thing. That's why I recommend that Netflix special. That, that like okay. I said, it's three episodes, yeah. and because that story is fucked up. There, there's all sorts of like tributaries, like splintering off uh, from the main story of the Murdoch family. So yeah, it, I found it pretty interesting. Yeah, all those like Netflix like true crime documentaries are pretty cool. Exactly. Yeah, I've seen a couple. The nun, mur- the, the one that I watched about so- a nun that got murdered was really cool. I forgot the I forgot the name of that one, but that yeah. was good. Yeah, but they're usually yeah like three or four episodes, so I could watch them like you know really it's like two two and a half hour you know investment. And yeah, I'm done. It doesn't even Love take it. me like half a work day for some of those. That's, those are the ones I really like, and I like them because it doesn't feel like they're trying to pad the content with like unnecessary information. I like when they just get they explain mm-hmm. the situation. Here's how it went, and here's the conclusion. Like I, what did I, I just watched one about like. Uh, had you build the, in a hitchhiker? No, but that I am look I do want to watch that one. I watched the one about it was the the guy who moved into like his daughter's college dorm and like oh, God. convinced God. them all to be in some like cult. Like it, it it's <laughs> weird. And sometimes I tend to like the weird ones more than like the straight up murder mysteries because a lot oh. of the murder ones it's like, well, you know right up front who the fucking guilty person is, but these weird ones it's just interesting the human mind and the way certain people have the gift to manipulate other people. And it's just, it can go down very bizarre avenues, even when it doesn't involve like murder. It's just the way like it's in plain sight. Okay. Oh, <laughs> no, ill. <laughs> I relieved him. I'm like, what? No, <laughs> I don't even want that oh, image God. in my fucking head. They made a fucking <laughs> pop of that guy. I relieved him. Oh God! <laughs> well, yeah, I guess we can go into like stuff we actually uh, enjoyed uh, that we've watched. I mean, I, it, it's probably going to be a variety of things, only because it's been so long. Obviously, we're not going to list off everything we've watched since we last recorded. Otherwise, that would be the damn show. No. But uh, I'm sure we have some stuff either more recently or just stuff we actually want to talk about. So. Venom, I'll start with you if you if you got something up first. <laughs> excuse me. Sorry. Sorry. I'm still recovering from COVID. So uh, if I cough, please excuse me, folks. Um, let's see. The first movie I want to talk about today is one that I did not enjoy. Uh, this one was released right at the top of the year. I think it was like the first week of January. This was a Hulu, right? Hulu original? This was either Hulu or Amazon Prime. I forget which. Oh, Peacock. I'm looking at the poster right now. It's Peacock. Um, each, and this ser- was... each service you list off is like downgrading my hopes for the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Prime. Okay, Hulu. Oh, Peacock. Okay. I actually like Peacock, but that's a story for another podcast. I, I actually am starting to really enjoy Peacock. I'm a big SNL fan, so that kind of explains that. But anyway. Oh, I love SNL, too. 
Exactly. You're, you're one of the we're, you're one of the few other ones out there that I swear in any of the chats uh, like in that we're in on Messenger. If I dare even reference SNL, here comes the nobody watches that anymore comments. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, fuck off. Yeah, well, I, I don't listen to the comedy gatekeepers. Fuck them. I know what I like. <laughs> I'm the key master, though. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Anyway, so back to my movie. Um, this one, this was actually written by Kevin Williamson, so I was actually mildly looking forward to it. Not oh, I already speaking. know what it is. Yeah, yeah, and uh, of course it is the pandemic horror film, Sick. Oh, this movie. Uh, this movie found ways to piss me off in pretty much every scene. I just disliked almost every character in this movie. It didn't matter what side of the virus conspiracy they were on. They just it felt like this movie was just filled with shitty people from, you know, from beginning to end. It, I mean, it's been a little a little while since I've seen it. I think I do remember some pretty decent kills, some pretty gory kills, but otherwise uh, I hated the story, I hated the characters in it. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's basically the story of, you know, due to the pa- uh, here, the synopsis is due to the pandemic, Parker and her best friend decide to quarantine at the family lake house alone or so they think. And basically, it's just a a big clusterfuck of accusations about who gave covid to who and, a, you know, a, a family trying to take revenge. And it just frustrated me at every turn. I'm not going to say that it was woke because I fucking hate that term. You but gave my son COVID, bitch. Yeah, exactly. Just my God, how how fucking deluded <laughs> can another human thing. being be? <laughs> Just makes no sense. Yeah, but anyway, um, it was a well-made film. I mean, it, you know, cinematography was fine. I thought the score was a little boring, but it 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 suited the movie. Um, the performances weren't bad. It's not like the performances necessarily were bad. It's just these characters, the way they were written. I pretty much hated every single person, be they antagonist or protagonist. I just didn't like anyone in this movie, so uh, I'm not sure if you guys saw it yet, but uh, Mike, I think you saw it, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I I mean, it was okay. Like, I thought the setup was decent, but kind of like you, it it just, I don't know, it kind of devolved as it it played out. And I think when you have a guy like Kevin Williamson, like, without kind of Wes Craven over his shoulder, you kind of see where his strengths and faults are. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not for Kevin Williamson unleashed. I, he needs like an actual horror master kind of like to, (laughs) to, uh, collude with him, I guess, to make like an actual movie that I enjoy more. Not bad though. I mean, I could, I can see that there isn't, there probably is an audience for, this movie yeah. just not me so much. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's sitting at like a five and a half on IMDb, and that's right around the rating I would probably give it. Like, it's not yeah. unwatchable, but it's just once you kind of start getting into the nitty gritty of this story, you're either going to love it or you hate it. And I ended up hating it. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, I actually seen it too. And I agree with you. The, the, the writing is probably the worst part of the movie for me because. It, it's actually not a bad looking movie. There's, you know, like yeah. a, the the director John Himes. He's actually the son of Peter Himes. We, we did, you know, he directed like the Relic and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and he actually uh, John Himes did like the fucking last two Universal Soldier movies, and mm-hmm. they are fucking nuts. Fucking like you know, like Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning is actually like like a visual like 
Apocalypse Now fucking movie. <laughs> Crazy. And, you know, he this kind of beats off a lot of his uh, other movie that he did alone. Alone was a lot better written movie, you know. So, yeah, I thought the movie has some cool visuals to like some of the scenes that were shot and for the, some of the setup kills were kind of cool looking. But overall, like, I agree, like the characters are pretty shitty written, you know, especially the whole reveal seemed kind of lazy, yeah. even though I was like, oh, OK, they're doing that angle. But, you know, <laughs> it was kind of just like a lazier version of it could have been cooler, you know. Yeah, I really could have. Like, like I thought the hunt did a way better job of like you know conservatives versus liberals. Even though that's got nothing to do with the pandemic, because the hunt was you know before COVID, it it still kind of had the same vibes of this these two different groups of people that are on very opposite sides of a you know of a topic. And you know, I, I just feel like the hunt was just so much more clever, you know, smart, smartly written, you know. And this this just felt like a cheap cash grab to me. This felt like, oh, let's take advantage of the COVID pandemic and the fears that some people have of, you know, be it vaccines or catching the virus or whatever the case may be. And, yeah, I, I just didn't like it very much, unfortunately. Hell yeah. All right, Derek, what do you got up first? Uh, I watched a fucking crazy South Korean movie called Project Wolf Hunting. <laughs> Oh, oh shit. Which I do, you know, it's kind of like a, how would I describe it? It's kind of like a borderline kind of a horror movie because it doesn't start out as a horror movie. It starts out kind of like a prison escape movie, kind of like Conier on a boat. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden <laughs> uh, they find out they're also on this boat is a immortal super soldier with superhuman strength. <laughs> Hmm. Fun. <laughs> and has heat vision. He has heat vision. It's the printer. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> but, uh, man, this movie is probably one of the most goriest movies I've ever seen in a while. <laughs> and it's all practical gore effects and shit. Oh, nice. it's pretty great. Uh, yeah, just go see it if you want to see people's heads like being punched off. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I've been, or that's been on my list since I heard about it, and I, it is available to be watched now. So that might be something I'm either watching tonight, depending on, uh, you know, how much free time I have. But definitely this weekend, and it was, I think we were considering it for fresh cuts. It was just like a timing thing. I think once it became available, it was like, oh, it happened. We happen to have theatrical releases, so it would get pushed. Um, but everything I've heard about that from any anyone who's seen it which isn't a lot of people yet but everyone is like kind of raving about it and um i could tell by the trailer alone like okay this is going to be gory as fuck i just didn't know how much of a horror movie or not it it was but i'm hearing like it kind of transitions into one yeah it it kind of has like a it's like a mixture of like prison movie mixed with like sci-fi kind of with like some action elements like some you know there's some fight scenes and shit like that but then there's also like this horror element of like this undead super soldier zombie that fucking kills <laughs> well now i'm excited and now i'm gonna see it yeah <laughs> cool um all right let's see the first one on my list is 
uh, movie that I, I picked up a copy at um, the horror convention way back in, I think, October. And I kind of had it sitting around, and eventually I was like, all right, let me uh, throw this on because it's from, you know, one of my favorite directors. And that would be Lesson of the Evil. Have you guys seen this one? This fucking outrageous movie. <laughs> With uh, features. Oh, the Kashi Mikes? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. It's fucking nuts, right? I missed the title. What was it? Lesson of the Evil. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Uh, Basically, a teacher has had enough uh, with students. And where American cinemas would probably fall short in what the teacher decides to do, Takashi Mikkei will not be stopped. And neither will his teacher in this movie. It's gory. It's vicious. It's pretty much everything you would expect from Takashi Mikkei. Yo, that fucking stairwell scene. Oh god, (laughs) yeah. And the thing is, like, he he's made so many movies that there's just been some that have slipped through the cracks. Um, You know, a lot of times with a director I like, I'll make an effort to see like everything they've done. And with his, there's just so many that some I just didn't get around to. And uh, when I saw a copy of this at the vendor booth, I was like, hell yeah, I'm, I'm grabbing this. And uh, it did not disappoint. Uh, another good McKay film for me. Yeah, I kind of did the same thing you did. I, I think Audition was probably the first one I saw. And, and after that, I just I started just finding everything that I could. Visitor Q, this one, and just have an absolute blast. Oh, Gozu is so fun. <laughs> So, yeah, um, it's been a while since I've seen this one, but I do remember watching it. And I mean, I don't think I've been disappointed by a Mike film yet. So (laughs) I'm still waiting for the Mike film that I don't love. So, yeah, I had a great time with it. (laughs) Hell yeah. All right. Venom, what do you got up next? All right. Next one for me. This is going to be my first 2023 movie. Or actually, is this maybe it's 2022? I'm not sure, but it's still fairly new. Um, This is a found footage film. We all know how much I love found footage, so I do tend to gravitate towards it. This is an indie film called All Eyes. Um, Synopsis for this one is a disgraced podcast host interviews an eccentric farmer who claims to have a monster living in the woods near his house. Now, I I really like this movie. Like, I had a really good time with it. And it wasn't even the creature stuff, because there's no creature, there's no, like, visible creature stuff in this movie until the third act. I actually loved the interactions between these two. This basically this grizzled old man who owns a farm that, you know, he believes that there is an alien or some kind of creature on his property that he's supposedly fought off multiple times. We get a podcast host who's basically in the process of being canceled and is trying to find that big story to, you know, get him back into, you know, the good graces of the Internet. But I I just genuinely had a really good time watching these two interact. I thought they did really well together. I think the actors are Jasper Hammer and Ben Hall. And honestly, the movie, if anything, the movie actually might have gone down a little bit in the third act, only because the third act is where you get all the action. And all the action takes away from the interactions of these two you know, characters that come from very different worlds and have almost nothing in common. Um, So it was the non-horror elements of this movie that actually sold me on it. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with the actual, you know, with the third act as far as what we actually get. I'm trying to be as vague as possible for those who haven't seen it. But 
Um, I, I will say that I enjoyed the first two acts of the film a little bit more, just watching these two interact. And then the third act, you know, you get what you get. Um, I'm not going to say it's bad. It just kind of, you know, for me, maybe brought the movie down just a half step. But this one is still getting a recommend from me. I had a really good time with this one, and I still would recommend this one to, especially to found footage fans. But, you know, even if you're not, uh, it's not really going to take you out of it. The the shooting style isn't going to take you out of the film too much. Uh, did either of you guys get a chance to see this one? What's it called again? All Eyes. I have not. You might, I might have to ask you where you watched that. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I, I like I said, I, I highly recommend it. I, I, it's just a different kind of movie, you know? It's not like Phil, it's not balls to the walls horror action by any stretch. It's not loaded with blood and gore. I think there might only even be like one death in the entire movie, but I, I just, just, it's kind of like Kill List. I, I know Derek remembers Kill List. I, I had such a great time watching these two main characters interact before we even got to the horror elements. Not to say that Kill List third act brought it down, not by any stretch, but it's kind of the same. I, I look at them, they're very similar to me in the sense that there's two main characters interacting. Obviously, in Kill List, they were friends, uh, whereas in this one, you know, they're, they're just two people from different worlds, which, you know, kind of makes for a fairly interesting movie if done well, if written well, if performed well, which I feel this movie is. So, yeah, it gets a recommend from me. Yeah, I got to see where you got that because that sounds kind of up my alley. That sounds cool. Yeah, I want to watch it, too. Do it. <laughs> I counted it in my 2023 list, even though it played in festivals in September of last year. But I'm not. Let me see. Yeah, it doesn't give me like an official VOD date. It just gives me that festival date. But I'm still counting it for 2023. I don't care. <laughs> Fuck them. All, all, it's called All Eyes. Yep. All Eyes. All Eyes on Me. Doesn't have a very high rating on IMDb, but you know maybe I'm in the minority on this one. You know maybe it, I, I know how found footage is and how some people tend to not like found footage. So who knows? Oh yeah. All right, Derek. What's next for you? I watch The Barn Part Two. Yes, uh, The Barn was a very polarizing movie that <laughs> in the horror community when it first came out and this movie got a sequel and uh, yeah it just felt, it's like, like uh, I think it's either a few years it's been a while since I watched it and I'm trying to remember it follows uh, the main girl from part two part one like a few years later she actually is in like a like a sorority with uh Actually, uh, the other main character, sister, uh, not the main character Sam, but the uh, his friend's sister. It's her is Sam's friend's sister from the first movie, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna, you know, do it because Halloween was banned because of the disappearances and the events that happened in the first movie, and it's like the first time they're lifting the ban, so they're gonna have like a haunted house in the tradition of like, uh, they're." missing friends, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, with the characters, Hollow Jack, Candy Corn, Scarecrow, and the fucking, uh, 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 the boogeyman. Yeah. The fucking minor dude. And, you know, it, it follows that they, you know, they're still here and there's actually more creatures and monsters in the movie. And they actually look pretty cool. There's like this fucking crow looking one that's fucking bites people's faces off. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking great. 
the gore is great. Uh, some cool appearances, and this is actually some cool backstory for like uh, what happened with the miners and uh, how the miner actually became the boogeyman. Uh, was done by a told by a penhead himself, Doug Bradley. <laughs> Doug, nice. Yeah, there's some cool appearances. Leanna quickly returns. First, Jason Ari Lehman. <laughs> He's in it again. <laughs> you know, it's fun. Joe Bob Briggs has a cameo in it. There's some cool appearances in the movie. It's fun. It's you know, is it fucking ten out of ten? Hell no, but I have fucking. <laughs> But, you know, these movies are like fun, guilty, pleasure type movies. And they're actually done well. You can see that the people that make them do care about the yeah. project anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. It's been a while since I watched. I know I watched the first one. Is that the one where the little girl gets killed in the opening scene? Oh, yeah. Okay, awesome. I fucking love the barn. <laughs> yeah. Any movie that unceremoniously takes out a child like that right in the opening scene, I'm on board for and yeah, I agree with Derek. I mean, as far as the first one goes, unfortunately, I haven't seen the second one yet. I definitely will. But um, yeah, I, I that first one was such a good time. It's, you know, it, it, yeah, it's got a little bit of a cheese factor to it, but the best possible kind of cheese. So I I had a really good time with it. And that scene in the barn, at the barn dance, like the, the, the fucking, the melee shit. Oh my God, that was fucking awesome. That was great. <laughs> I think like 30 people died in like two minutes. It's fucking great. <laughs> oh, it's great. The guy holding his sausage guts in. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm watching the second one this weekend now. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's been so long since I've seen the first one. I, I kind of, cause I, I am interested in watching the second one, but I started like trying to think back to the first. And I was like, "Damn, it's been so long. I I want to watch it. Maybe I'll like do a double header with them once, <clears throat> once I track them both down because uh, it, it's been so long since I've seen the first one." Um, that might be a good. That might be a fun double feature. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So my next one is a 4K I picked up, and that would be Bram Stoker's Dracula. Now oh, I haven't watched so this movie. Yeah, I haven't watched this, like, I don't want to say since the theater. I probably had seen it once since then, but I don't know if it's the 4K that mesmerized me, but I came away this watch watch or loving it so much more than when it came out. Now, Venom, I know you're old enough to know, like, when it came out, it, it seemed like it was it got a pretty mixed reaction back then. Uh, and I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about because everyone that I saw it with fucking loved it. Um, my, my quick story of seeing it opening weekend is um, the girl that I was dating at the time was a huge Dracula fan. Absolutely loved all iterations of Dracula. Dan Curtis, Bella Lugosi. It didn't matter. She fucking loved Dracula. After that opening scene, if you remember the cold open of Dracula yeah. where we see, you know, Vlad still alive and going off to war and then his wife dies, blah, blah, blah. Literally, we fucking stood up and applauded after that cold open. We were my nipples were so fucking hard. <laughs> and we just I, I'm telling you, all of us that were at the movie that night, ear to ear grin, just fucking it was all we could talk about for like a week i i think uh, my my girl and i did go see it one more time after that in the theater but 
I, I adored that movie right from the start. I, to answer your question, I don't think it's the 4K. Yes, it looks gorgeous. I do have it. I, th- that's an older one I bought. That was like one of the first 4Ks I picked up. I, I remember getting that at Best Buy. But um, I love this movie. I absolutely, you know, I mean, Bela Lugosi is still my ultimate Dracula. Not the movie that he was in, but just Bella's performance and just the way he carries himself and everything else. He is Dracula to me. But by but, uh, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, probably the best cinematic Dracula I've seen. Fucking loved every minute of that movie. Even even uh, Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves, terrible British accents couldn't take me out of the movie. I fucking love Jonathan. I love you. I love you, Jonathan. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Whoa. I think also maybe it's because like I I think I was only like eleven or twelve when it came out and I wasn't oh, yeah, as familiar yeah. with like what the kind of source material of Dracula like I knew I had seen vampires on film but really like I was less familiar with like kind of like the classical interpretation of Dracula so there were still things I liked about it but watching it now I just appreciate like all the set design like there were just like some some like uh characters or just uh creepy things going on just like for single scenes at a time yeah. and i was just kind of like so impressed yeah with, when monica like, bellucci big keanu reeves dick oh god those three <laughs> women holy fuck <laughs> thank god my wife's not home but yeah jesus that those three ridiculous i would i would let them take my soul i don't care <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I think Anthony Hopkins should have gotten a fucking Oscar nomination for that movie. I thought his performance was stellar. Like one of the most fun Van Helsings I've ever seen set to film. Loved it. Best, <laughs> one of the best Renfields, too, Tom Waits. Yes! Ah, oh, Tom Waits! The <laughs> like he, You can tell he was having fun with that role. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I was just kind of like fixated the whole running time and when it ended i was like i don't want this shit to end it's it's just it was just so well made oh so good yeah you don't even notice the runtime like who cares that movie could be three and a half hours it wouldn't matter (laughs) oh and you look look you notice like shit in the background like fucking shadows and weird shit moving on the walls and shit you almost see something new every time you watch it i like that Yep. So yeah, I think that it's like still on Blu-ray and now 4K as well. So plenty of ways to see it. Um, but yeah, uh, get Venom, that 4K. I'll it to you. Watch it when Dracula, <laughs> yeah. Raw Dogs, Lucy, and Werewolf form. <laughs> it's just, pornographic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you knew somebody had to do it. I I have to bring. The most divisive horror film of 2023 to the table. And what side of the fence do I land on? Hmm. We'll have to see. Because this film, there's nobody on the middle of the road with this one. You either love this movie, think it's the scariest, most jarring, disturbing thing you've ever seen. Or you're the opposite, where you think it's the dumbest, most boring, stupid fucking film you've ever seen. And, of course, that is Skinamarink. Um, the movie oh that, like I said, this has been a divisive one. Good back and movie. forth. And I am here to say that I am on 
the left side, I guess. I fucking hated this movie. I fucking hated this movie. I hated every fucking second. Every frame of film in this movie sucks. I, ugh. Like, whose idea was it to make an hour and 40 minute long movie that's out of focus the whole fucking movie? The camera's on the floor most of the film, so all you see are people's feet. The, the 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 quiet conversations are so loud they could wake up Rumpelstiltskin. It fuck I just I want to slap the shit out of the people who made this movie. Now the funny thing is there are people saying this is the greatest scariest fucking movie they've ever seen. And you know what? I'm glad for those people. I legitimately am. I wanted to every horror movie I go to the theater to see I want to like. And when I don't like it, some especially with a movie like this where so many people do love it, I almost start to think that there's something wrong with me. But then, you know, as the weeks go by, more and more people are putting out their reviews, and I'm starting to see now that that there are more like me who absolutely hated this film. I call this movie a failed film school project. Like, if my friend was a freshman in film school and he made this movie and he showed it to me, I would laugh his fucking ass off. I would I would tell him you are a terrible filmmaker and you should quit right now. That's how fucking much I hated this movie. Now, uh, let's see if you guys saw it. Am I way off base? <laughs> like, like I said, it was a good that movie. Oh no, it isn't because as soon as someone talks, it fucking wakes you up. It's so fucking jar. I don't know if you guys saw this in the theater, but in the theater, literally, when the little kid would just say something quietly, it was like just fucking loud. And and I'm just like, is that how you're getting scares by just like waking us out of the naps that we're taking (laughs) in the theater? I I just ah god. And like I said. Yes, I'm exaggerating. The whole movie's not out of sync. Or, uh, excuse me, the whole movie's not out of focus, and the whole movie doesn't, the camera's not on the floor the whole time. But the whole time, I'm thinking, how can I be scared when I'm just confused and frustrated at this film? Like, it's, it's like I'm sitting in the theater. It's fucking little kid's back of a kid's head. Yeah. I just, I just, on top of the fact that I didn't quite even get the narrative. Like after I saw the movie, I had to go home and read the synopsis. And then I'm like, oh, that's what was happening. Like it didn't, it, what the narrative wasn't ultra clear. Now I'm not going to, I'm not necessarily knocking the movie for that because we've seen lots of vague narratives in horror films before. That's fine. I'm usually okay with that stuff. But with this one, it just, it didn't feel like the movie had a beginning, middle, and end. It felt like it was just an hour and 40 minutes that they recorded in this house and just <laughs> threw it. And somehow it got in the theaters. Like I said, this movie is a fucking, it looks like a film, a failed film school project. And somehow this thing got a national fucking release. Yeah. There's got to be nepotism involved. Somebody's got to be related with somebody. I just don't understand how this happened. But anyway, uh, if you guys saw it, go come on in and chime in. They're putting every, anything out to get people in the seats. Keep it them now. It's bad. Oh. And I had never seen anything about this. I, I didn't watch. Obviously, I don't watch trailers. All I saw was the poster, you know, the poster, the black and white poster with, that's upside down with the little kid, you know, sitting upside down on the floor, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, it's a horror movie playing in theaters. What the fuck? I'm going to go see it, you know, because. I mean, that's the whole reason I don't watch trailers, because I'm going to go see everything anyway. It doesn't matter. And holy shit, did I regret my hour and 40 minutes I spent with this one. Wow. Mike, did you get a chance to see this? 
Nope. So I actually didn't. So here's what happened. So originally it got like a one, I think it was like a one night screening here. And I was thinking about seeing that, but it was kind of up in the air, whether we would end up doing it on fresh cuts or not. So I was like, well, I don't want to watch it right now because if we do it on fresh cuts in like a week or two, I'm going to forget everything or I'm going to forget too much to talk about it. Then by the time it hit shutter, we actually had like theatrical movies coming out. So it would have got pushed. Then by, by that time we had moved, we had moved on to other movies and it's been so divisive. I, I want to watch it, but because of the nature of like, I, whether I like it or not, I know what type of movie it is, like the style. And it's one of those ones where I feel like I have to be in like the right kind of mood and time to like really devote attention because from what I'm hearing, there's not much of a narrative. So it's like, you kind of almost got to block out any type of distraction and just try to pay attention a hundred percent. And I just haven't found like that perfect time to like throw it on yet, but I am going to get around to it. It's just, it, it hasn't happened yet. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. It's been super divisive. I've, I've only heard like love or hate. There has been like almost zero middle ground. Yeah, I mean, that's how you know a movie is going to be, you know, controversial. Is that everyone either loves it or hates it? And you know, we I, I've made that uh, analogy before, like with stuff like Hereditary. It felt like everybody either loved it or hated it. But with even with Hereditary, eventually, we did get some people that were like middle of the road that were just like, ah, eh, it was okay. Um, you know, same thing with stuff like The Witch and The Lighthouse, blah blah blah. But with this one, I have literally not seen a Twitter or a Facebook post of anybody who's indifferent to the movie everyone either loves it or they fucking hate it and some of the best quotes i've seen about this movie came from the friday nightmares podcast i don't know how many of our listeners check them out but i have it written down here scott said that skinnamarink is paint drying the movie and he's 100 right there and then heather said this is a canadian production this is why americans hate canadians Oh, that quote just fucking got me because I didn't realize it was Canadian. I wasn't even thinking about that. But, oh, shit, I fucking love Heather for making that quote. So, yeah, got to give the Friday Nightmares podcast their props for that one. That was pretty awesome. (laughs) All right, I'm done talking about this stupid movie. Oh, (laughs) all right, Derek, what you got? I got, uh, damn it, what the hell do I want to bring up? I've been watching uh, some fucking uh, fuck. I don't even know. Let me think about it for a second. <laughs> okay, I'll do my third one really quick. Yeah. Then. No pressure. So yeah, this one's actually a TV show. Um, it's it's all the rage right now. And uh, when I when I initially put it on my list, I think it was only one episode into it. But now I think it's been seven episodes or eight. And that would be The Last of Us. Probably, you dick. at least from what from video game adaptions I've seen, probably already like my number one video game adaption. Um, it also, to me, it shows the strength of – because what the plan is is season one is going to be the first video game. And I think they said – I think they said they're going to adapt the second game as season two and three, um, just because the second game's bigger. Um, but 
I think what you're seeing here is because this is getting a lot of comparisons to The Walking Dead, and I I'm not I'm not bashing The Walking Dead at all because I don't like the Monday morning quarterbacking that's going on where like everyone's pretending they didn't like Walking Dead at the beginning. Um, but the the contrast to me is I think the difference is this show this is showing that if you compact an entire story into a single season. You can you can do a lot more with it. You you don't get the same attachment um, to feeling pressured to keep like the hot character, not hot as in like pretty, but just popular. Uh, the, those characters, you're not trying to find justifications to keep them alive because hey, everyone likes these certain characters. They are pretty much following the main points of the game, but also doing um, some story stuff like expanding. Uh, some things giving uh, backstories to characters we might have only got a glimpse of a backstory in the game, but I just think it's really well done. It's it's definitely like you know on the uh, post apocalypse tip uh, as and somewhat zombie stuff, although they're not exactly like the zombies we're probably familiar with, like that type. Close enough. Uh, you yeah. know, yeah, it's basically fungal infection that turns them into zombies eventually. But I like that there's different stages. Uh, yeah. of it um, but I think the strength is in the character and to me the the I, I give I give lots of credit to you know the producers and the director and HBO for adapting it but but at the end of the day to me if you love this show whether you play the game or not you better put some damn respect on the ability uh, to of video game makers in their storytelling and narratives because this show wouldn't be what it was unless it was based off the story in the video game. And to me, that's just proof that, yes, not all video games will have that depth of story, but the ones that have the resources and the good writing, they offer super compelling narratives of the stories. And I think they deserve... I had to mute because I had to cough. But, um, <laughs> yeah... <laughs> I and, and the other thing I think that's beautiful about the show is you really don't need to have played the video game. Although there's a lot of people I've seen on social media that are like, oh, I need to go back and play it. But I, I think the show does enough to stand on its own that even if you have played the video game, yes, you you still know the main things that are going to be happening. But there's still enough that they do in this show that makes it worth watching, and you're still kind of riveted by what you're seeing unfold. Um, Venom, I know you played the first game. Have you been watching the show at all? course religiously i watch it right at right on sunday night when it airs uh i what this is uh probably my favorite horror series since the first season of the walking dead uh, i might actually like this more than the first season of the walking dead these performances i mean our two main stars you know um pablo and um uh, bella ramsey holy shit these performances are spectacular um I, I had some problems early on with the show. I didn't really like Tess's representation in the show as opposed to how she was in the video game. But holy shit, if everything that's happened since episode two hasn't just been spectacular. Episode three, I'm tell, as of right now, episode three is my favorite episode of a, te- of a TV series so far this year. I have never felt that much emotion for a random gay couple that, you know, I just, I'm not homophobic in any way, shape or form, but you know, when I see, you know, gay movies and gay narratives, you know, they don't always speak to me, but this, this episode three with these two guys, it didn't even matter that they were gay. This was just one of the most 
beautiful like romances, relationships that could have been set to film. And the fact that we only spend 45 minutes with these guys and I shed actual fucking tears at the end of that episode. Yeah, dude, this series is fucking amazing. And then the last episode, episode seven, which was actually the DLC from the first game. So if you played the first game and you got the first DLC, that's what was represented in this week's episode. And once again, they fucking get me, you know, the heartstrings, man. So, you know, the, the Walking Dead didn't always get me, you know what I mean? It, it yeah. had its moments early on, but this season, holy shit, I, I, man, I was actually hoping that the first season wouldn't end with the first game. I was hoping they take the first season or the first game and make that into two seasons because there's a really great, like, cliffhanger type situation um, towards middle later middle of the first game that would have been a great cliffhanger for season one but at the same time the ending the actual end of the first game is going to make a spectacular final episode of the season um so you know assuming that they go the same route that they've been going so far but yeah this series holy shit and the fact that they could go almost entire episodes without even showing any of the monsters this week's episode only had one infected in it. One fucking infected in the whole episode. And it didn't even matter because we didn't care about the infected. We cared about these two characters trying to grow up and figure out who they are in this post-apocalyptic world. I, mm-hmm. th- this was fucking brilliant. I don't like using that word that often, especially the older I get. But I'm sorry. The Last of Us is fucking brilliant. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I agree. Yeah, and it it bugs me when people complain about episodes without the infected because I'm like, well, first, it's based on a video game where you went through stretches that there weren't infected because it's about a lot more. It's not just like an action zombie game. And I'm I personally am glad they stuck to that in the show because at first, I you know, I, going into it, I was like a little worried that they would feel pressure that like, well, that's what people are going to want to see. So we're going to have to do all these modifications to make every episode just shooting infected. And I'm glad that they they kind of stuck to the tone mm-hmm. of the game. And it's really about like uh, Joel and Ellie's journey and them developing as characters they're kind of dynamic given like their history without each other you know grow their kind of relationship growing um as their journey continues and i I just thought it's excellent it's i I agree with you like it to me i i consider this like must see tv like i did the first couple seasons of walking dead when it'd be like sunday and you want to go and I, i do kind of agree i think if i had to compare obviously this season's not over yet um but if I had to compare, like, directly, I would say I think I like this better. Um, yep. But I also think there's some advantages to this one because the fact that so much is being packed into one season, I think you yep. – it, it's it's a di- it's paced differently because it's based on, like, a game as opposed to the Walking Dead comics, which span years and years and years. So you – automatically it's going to be paced different. But that helps, and it – it shows that like not everything needs to be five, six plus seasons, right? If you can just make a really good uh, season or two and that's all you need. And to cap it off, man, if you're Pedro Pascal right now, 
you're Joel and you're the Mandalorian. Like, what the fuck? Like, how the hell do you both those roles? He is the internet's boyfriend. Like, dude, right now, dude is like sure. the king of like nerd culture right now, right? Because yep. I mean, like, he's he's in two of the most coveted roles. And for in both that, like, series, genre. in both like, series, he's protecting the, the the youth. He's protecting the next generation. He's I like a surrogate father. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, what a, what a great time to be. Uh, this is the way right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but one of the things can transfer elements of each character over because there's a lot of similarities, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, very similar. You know, they both. You know, both of his characters get you know stuck with. Um, you know, a, a younger, you know, creature that they don't want to be with, but then eventually, you know, develop feelings and attachments to them. So, yeah, I mean, they perfectly yeah, pass this film. Yeah, in both so, cases, when he first gets saddled up, he considers the person with him cargo, right, for a little yeah. while. They're just cargo to me. And over time, that changes. And it's kind of like beautiful to watch that evolution in, yeah. in the relationship. One of the things that I really love about this series over The Walking Dead, too, is that it's a, it's a much more isolated story. Yes, I understand that the virus is worldwide. The whole world is affected. But we only have two main characters in this. Whereas think about that first season of The Walking Dead. I mean, it was like a dozen to, to a dozen and a half people in the main cast. And, you know, that's why you were constantly getting people killed off, you know, main characters, side characters, things T-dog. like that. Yeah, with, with this with with this one, we don't need to have as many characters die, even though it does still seem like we're losing a character every episode. But our two main characters are always there, and I, I just love that. You know, we're not constantly bouncing back between like Alexandria or. And I know I'm bringing up later seasons of The Walking Dead, but the point is, is that I, I like the isolated story more. I like only having to care about two people, not you know, uh, you know, a, a cast of dozens. Though I gotta say, the Native American, the, the Native American couple in Episode Six were fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, they were on screen for all of five minutes, and I loved them. <laughs> yep, um, I think I, I'm not sure if the season's ten or twelve episodes, but you know we're we're HBO rapidly approaching. Like it, it, it's uh, hard to we'll believe see. that it's already been like that many episodes aired, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm going to keep watching it because it's awesome. And uh, maybe, you know, whatever episode we're on, uh, whatever episode of this we're on when it ends, maybe we'll, we can talk about it further. But I don't, you know, for for the sake of those who, do, who never played the game and might be watching the show, I don't want to, like, get into any no, actual no, spoiler no stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll cap that for now. But yeah, if, if there's anyone listening here that hasn't watched it and you have HBO Max and have access to all episodes, I would say dive in ASAP. I do also appreciate HBO Max and Disney Plus does it too, you know, the one episode a week thing. Rather than dropping an entire season like Netflix or Hulu or whatever, you know, it's actually having to wait a week, it just it makes that anticipation so much better. Like, you know, like with Wednesday, you could you could have just binge watched the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, nothing against that. Yeah. If that's how you consume your content, that's fine. I have nothing against that, but just, you know, I'm an old guy. I'm a, you know, I'm an old broadcast TV viewer and, you know, we had to wait a week in between watching our favorite episodes and HBO doing that. Just, it makes every episode, I, I feel like every episode leaves a bigger impression. 
as opposed to if they just drop the whole 10 or 12 episode series at once, you know, you're going to be rushing through some of the episodes. They're not going to have the emotional punch that some of them do. I mean, we've we've already had three very emotional episodes with characters that we literally met in that same episode yeah. that, that, that then, you know, obviously, you know, uh, run into unfortunate situations and it becomes just incredibly emotional. Like, I, I would never imagine that I would care about a character that I've known for all of 40 minutes, you know, uh, but still like feel something legitimately when, when they're dispatched or whatever. So yeah, just uh, amazing uh, TV uh, filmmaking. Uh, all right, let's move on because I'm, I'm my, my nipples are hard talking about the last of us. I think that was three for all from all of us. Unless, well, Derek, I can Derek, swing back to you yeah. if you still got something. Yeah, I got one now. I remember what I wanted to talk about. I'm sorry about that, guys. I finally watched Terrifier 2. Woo! Oh, shit. Tell us. Oh, what did you think? Let's see if Derek is more a Venom or a Don. <laughs> I don't know what a Don is. But, our Don. Uh, our Don uh, and Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really did like it. Yay! It pretty fun. You know, I actually liked all the characters that were in it, too, which is weird for these type of movies. Uh, usually, these movies, you don't care about those characters, but it was a cool, like, yep. I like the main, like, hero chick of this movie. That, that was pretty cool. Oh, Fucking, it. Yeah, Angel Wings. Badass. Fucking, uh, but yeah, art was great. I loved the little fucking clown girl, too. That was kind oh. of creepy. I loved her. If they make her into a Funko Pop, I'm buying that. <laughs> I love that little girl. I, I just every single shot that she's in is fucking creepy. <laughs> I love uh, it. Yeah, it's fun, gory. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I already picked up the 4K. I I had to get it right away. I fucking uh, Best Buy. It's a Best Buy exclusive, so you got to go to Best Buy to get the 4K for Terrifier too. But yeah. Uh, well worth it. I loved it. Yeah, I got it too. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Now, I've I've been very vocal about not liking the first Terrifier. I I love. Yeah, the kills are great. The gore is great. Art the clown is great. But I I I always disliked it, or at least didn't like it as much as others because of the lack of a story. I mean, the story of the first Terrifier is just Art the clown kills random people on Halloween. That's literally the movie, and which you know for some people that's fine. But then with Terrifier 2, we get an actual narrative. We get actual fucking characters that we care about, characters that you don't want to see die. I felt so bad for the mom. I felt so bad for the girl in her bedroom. Like, these are all likable characters. You know, these weren't guilty pleasure kills, you know. This wasn't like an 80s slasher where they just fill it with a bunch of shitty people for us to watch get hacked up. Like, I actually cared about a lot of these characters and then they give us an actual narrative that's still going to continue into Terrifier 3. So, I I, I mean, this was my oh. number four movie of 2022. It, it was my number two for a long time, but then I did some rewatches and it went down a little bit. Should I say other movies went up, but I, I fucking adored Terrifier 2. And I didn't even care that it was two and a half hours long. I loved every minute. I saw it in the theater twice. I've watched it once since I got the 4K. Uh, legitimately one of my favorite movies of last year. Like Merriman. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything that's been said. I think the the main difference between Terrifier... Like, I was only kind of like lukewarm on Terrifier. Obviously, I appreciated the 
special effects and the kills, but mm-hmm. it felt like it was just a movie that was trying to get from one scene of mayhem to the next where terrifier two actually felt like a more fully fleshed out movie besides just like the kills. Um, I thought they, you know, let art, uh, really kind of like unleashed here. Not even, not just the kills, but just his comedic sensibilities, his kind of physical <laughs> humor, um, was funny. I liked when he like, before he like killed anyone, just when he fucked around with the girl in the costume shop, um, that that was great. The laundromat scene. The laundromat scene is great. <laughs> Seeing him half naked. Oh God. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And yeah. I I I think the most surprising thing was like a two and a half hour Terrifier movie actually like held my attention the whole time. I, I mm-hmm. one of my kind of uh, hesitations seeing it in the theater was like, damn, two and a half hours, but. It, it proved me wrong on that for sure. Yes, yeah. Terrifier no Two. Yes, Terrifier Two is the Maniac Cop Two of the Terrifier movies. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so uh, now that we got all that out of the way, something I had in my notes that probably doesn't apply anymore, but I'll ask it anyway, just because. Venom's here. Derek, I don't even know. Did you do a top 10 for 2022? No, I, I never did. <laughs> okay. Um, obviously, this would have been more pertinent if we had recorded this show like closer to January. But uh, I'll ask anyway. And if the answer is no, then we can move right along. <laughs> Just because it's in my notes. But Venom, did you have... Like looking back, because I always kind of a month or two after like we do the top 10 show, I'll kind of like look back at my list, my honorable mentions, just to see if there's like anything that comes to mind that like, oh, shit, this was an oversight that I didn't even mention at all. Do you have any movies like that or are you pretty much content with everything you listed off? I'm I'm very happy with my top 10. I will say that I did watch an additional 2022 movie after we recorded our top 10 that may have made my top 10 had I seen it in time. And that's speak no evil. Um, that slow burn and that ending just really, really worked for me. So um, it may have, nice. I, I can't say that it, yeah, I can't say that it would have definitely made my top 10, but it's a pretty good shit. Cause my number 10 was troll, which is a borderline horror movie. I mean, it's it's a creature feature, mm-hmm. um, but I, you know, I, I fucking adored it. I love that movie. So Troll would have been it, my it, top ten. Yeah, definitely. But th- that's what I mean. Um, uh, if had I seen Speak No Evil when it came out and then got a rewatch at the end of the year, it probably would have made my top ten. But as far as the stuff that I actually watched in 2022, nah, I love my top ten. Well, that's cool. Like, even if even if it wouldn't have made your wouldn't have made your top ten, just the fact that you liked it, because uh, you know, Speak No Evil is very high on my list, but it's also one of those movies that's kind of hard to recommend, just yeah. carte blanche to everybody because of the style, because of the pace, because of the ending. Uh, I've seen a lot of people that just hate the movie, so it's like, uh, even though I really liked it, it's like, who can I even recommend this to? Like with a blank slate, but that's cool that you ended up liking it. Um, for me, I, I totally, and I don't even know if this one would have been on my top 10, but definitely honorable mentions. And I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. So that 
could have been why it wasn't fresh on my mind. Uh, no pun intended there. Uh, the Innocence, I, I really liked it, oh, yeah. and I saw it yeah. like I saw it at the beginning of the year, and maybe that's was that why the it was kind of not superhero movie. Yeah, the evil kids get kind of powers. Oh yeah, yeah. it's Chronicle. Um, the evil Chronicle, yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> I, I just thought that was a very cold, chilling movie, but it was it was it was almost a reality we don't think about because the superpower element uh, that's there, but really all that that was kind of a device just to show an enhanced version of this is how the blank slate of kids kind of think it, it, like because we always I, I think the title of the movie is apt by calling it the innocence because yes <laughs> why while there isn't a certain innocence to kids there's also sometimes a black and white thinking to kids where if they get mad about something like imagine like so i have kids right and obviously it's been mentioned many times could you imagine, like, if my kids had superpowers and they got mad at me about something? Like, hey, they burn your face off tonight. Right, burn. Yeah, or you, <laughs> right. Like, if, if they had the ability to actually do anything other than, like, whine and complain about something, like, I think adults would be dead. Oh, period, adults would be because, yeah, because adults kids, would never make it to their kids' 10th birthday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I. Because, it's kind of like that dichotomy of yes, um, there's an innocence to kids, but they also don't have the fully developed like right and wrong or consequences of overreacting to something. And then in, in the scene that involves one of the kids and his mom, oh man, that was just like rough, you know, like you, you, what you, happened. You, and you know, uh, you know that you know you definitely know the kid from Better Watch Out would end up being Batman in that universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's a, but that's another movie that's kind of in a similar slate where like it, yeah. it's slow paced it, it's it's definitely like a different kind of horror movie so that's another one that I would recommend it to people I knew like those type of movies but just throwing it out there for everybody it's like there's gonna be people that just don't like it because it's slower paced the story it's very it's more like story narrative driven than actual just you know scenes of carnage all the time so. Um, I would recommend it, and uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. it I, I can't say for sure it would have been on my top ten, but I definitely think me not bringing it up for honorable mentions was an oversight. So, yeah, this isn't exactly a timely topic anymore, but since we were here, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I might as well ask it just in case. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, there's not much news, uh, so I don't really have much on that. Um burning topic we kind of went over a bunch of stuff in our opening segment that could be our burning question is how the fuck did we get to 50 episodes (laughs) yeah man it just seems like life was against us for so long i didn't think we'd ever make it (laughs) well what's funny is like it took it took all this time to get to 50 before we were in quarter 50 we pretty much have 51 and 52 scheduled like with guests (laughs) and like we're like halfway already knowing what we're going to do for those episodes so it's like I guess 50 is a signal that maybe uh, the the winds of change are going to happen after after this episode. We'll get back to like a regularly scheduled podcast. But uh, if you guys don't have anything else, you know what I mean, we can take our break and come back with our movies if you want. Because we are talking three movies this time instead of two. And I don't even think we said what we were doing, which because 50 is kind of a milestone a- a episode, we're kind of going outside of the box because – 
if you notice our pattern, we tend to stay away from like the more bigger talk about movies. We try to pick like a theme or movies within a theme that uh, might have been overlooked or just lesser talk about. But this time we're going with all time favorites, uh, which doesn't necessarily mean they have to be big box office or well known. But at this time, I would say at least two of the three are. But even all three, I would say for the hardcore horror community are are well known. Um, so I'll, I'll say mine is uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Venom, what's yours? Uh, mine is The Exorcist. The Exorcist. And Derek, what did you pick? Zombie. Or Zombie 2. Or Zombie Flesh Eaters. I like Zombie Flesh Eaters. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So since we got three movies to uh, talk about, we're going to cap this opening uh, segment full of stuff here and take our break and come back and talk about three of our favorite movies. Yay. Woo! Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world. <gasps> the world of darkness. expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! The one hope. The only hope. The exorcist. was true. The most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. Close. Crazy! You gotta make a 
just as terrifying as being there. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Yum. It's time for a tasty and refreshing snack. to satisfy your hunger, your thirst, your sweet tooth. So visit our refreshment center now. Let's go! And now, on with the show. All right, folks, we are back, and we're going to start with our, of course, as Mike mentioned earlier, we are looking at our three favorite horror films for our epic episode 50. So we're going to go chronologically, which would start with my film, which, as I mentioned before the break, is The Exorcist, 1973. Uh, I would say 1973 slash 2000, because obviously in 2000 we got the theatrical run of the director's cut, which I guess at the time was called The Version You've Never Seen, which, you know, put back a bunch of footage that uh, that William Friedkin had to take out back in 73, um, much to the dismay of uh, William Peter Blatty, who just hated the fact that uh, these scenes that he absolutely loved had to be taken out, which, you know, kind of started a whole thing between those two where they pretty much spent the entire time, the entire editing time of the movie, basically not speaking to each other. They eventually made up after the movie was released. But, you know, that's just one of the thousands of stories around The Exorcist and um, one thing I did want to start a uh, caveat before we start um, is to let you know that 
you know, we're talking about our three favorite movies here. We're not going to get too crazy with breaking them down because ultimately I feel like all three of us could probably do a three hour show on our favorite films. They're our favorite films for a reason. You know, they touch our they touch our heart, our soul in a certain way, you know, be it a guilty pleasure, be it legitimate, you know, great performances, great filmmaking. So don't look for like new facts or, you know, any kind of science that maybe you haven't heard before. This is basically three guys just basically, you know, sucking the dick of our favorite horror movie ever made. So there you go. So let's start it out. The Exorcist, 1973, of course, written by William Peter Blatty uh, from the 1971 book, The Exorcist, which, of course, was based on a real exorcism from 1949, where there was a, a boy who, after playing with the Ouija board, basically, you know, started acting differently, started speaking in tongues. Eventually, a priest was assigned to his exorcism. They did two exorcisms, each of them taking multiple weeks in time. And eventually, after the second exorcism, the boy was back to normal and everything, you know, was okay. So, you know, the Catholic Church looks at it as a legitimate demonic possession. And that's what William Peter Blatty's book is based on. This film is directed by William Friedkin, who at the time was really only known for what, like the French Connection, maybe? Um and other than that, he basically did uh, documentaries. He was a documentary filmmaker at the time, but William Peter Blatty really, really wanted him to be a part of this. Believe it or not, Stanley Kubrick was first slated to direct this film. That would have been an interesting film to see. I'm not sure if I would have liked it more or less, but I mean, most people know I fucking adore Stanley Kubrick, so... Uh, it would have definitely been interesting. Of course, our film stars Ellen Burstyn, Max von Sydow, um, Jason Miller, and the lovely Linda Blair, who I probably shouldn't call her lovely here since she's 13 years old, but she did grow up to be an amazing looking woman. So we'll leave it at that. And man, where do I start? Um, I mean, I, my history with this film is actually not as long long as you would think, considering it is my favorite horror film of all time. I did not see this film in the 70s. Now, most of you know that, you know, I was born in 1970. So my horror watching kind of started when I was like nine, 10 years old. So, you know, 79 with stuff like, you know, the original Halloween, uh, Night of the Living Dead, you know, a lot of the class at Rosemary's Baby, stuff like that. The Exorcist, I didn't really discover until the 80s. It was probably like either early to mid 80s. And believe it or not, I didn't like this movie. The first time I watched it, I did not like it. I didn't think it was that scary. Um, I didn't really understand the praise that it was getting. I thought it was a little slow, blah, blah, blah. But then as the years went by and I gave it more rewatches, I realized that this, this film is a fucking masterpiece. I mean, if, there, if there's any questions about how great this film is, this is the first horror film to be nominated for Best Picture by the Academy Awards. That's fucking huge. Ultimately, you can count on one hand the amount of horror movies that have been nominated for Best Picture over the years. Um, you know, stuff like Silence of the Lambs and Black Swan, but this was the first. So obviously this was definitely, um, you know, a major moment in horror history, you know, um, Horror is no longer the B-movie, the uh, the guilty pleasure genre. Now we're getting big-name actors, big-name directors, big-name writers making big-name horror films. And, yeah, The Exorcist is probably – obviously, we had stuff like Psycho and Rosemary's Baby in the 60s, which, you know, kind of started the whole – 
I hate using the term, but kind of, you know, the elevated horror thing or the, you know, the art house horror, if you will. But The Exorcist definitely just brought it to the forefront. And to this day, uh, after adjusted for numbers, it is still the highest grossing horror film of all time. If you adjust uh, the if you adjust it for today's dollars, The Exorcist is sitting at one point seven nine billion dollars. It literally it, it would be if it came out today and actually made that much money, it would be like the number six highest grossing film of all time. So even though it chapter one kind of perplexed it um, or surpassed it, I should say, um, as far as you know, sheer dollars when adjusted exorcist is still number one. So that's huge. So, I mean, let's get into it. I mean, what can we really say about this movie that hasn't been said already? Beautiful performances from Ellen Burst and Linda Blair. Max von Sydow was actually my favorite actor for a good 20 year stretch of my life after seeing this and the black hole. I don't know how many of you have seen the Disney movie, the black hole, uh, the, the movie that Disney tried to bury for years. And then finally they released it a couple of years ago when Disney plus, when the Disney plus app came out, they finally put it out in the public eye. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the performances are amazing. Jason Miller, I mean, who was basically a stage actor, never did a film before. And he comes in here and absolutely nails um, his role as Father Karras. Obviously, Max von Sydow as Father Marin, Ellen Burstyn as Chris O'Neill. Um, sometimes, I mean, thinking about some of the actors that almost got put into this film, uh, we we almost got Marlon Brando as Father Marin, which would have just changed the entire tone of this. Father Christ compels you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we almost got Jack Nicholson as Father Karras. Um, wow. Luckily, William Friedkin vetoed both of because the studio wanted to put those people in the movie. Uh, obviously, Friedkin said, no, I don't want any huge stars in the movie because then, you know, I don't want people calling The Exorcist a Marlon Brando movie or a Jack Nicholson movie. And his yeah. judgment was obviously correct. So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely him. a fair assessment, because if you look at like The Shining. I mean, that's exactly what it was. And that's not to say Jack would be bad in the role at all. It's just it would no, be no. known for that, probably. Even in 73, because Jack Nicholson wasn't like as huge a star, but he was still well known and definitely had Jack Nicholson-isms oh, yeah. to him that it, it would have probably he probably would have had a difficult time not chewing scenery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's only a few years removed from, or should I say, The Exorcist is a few years before One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which I guess is like his big star turn. Obviously, he's been acting forever. I mean, I remember him as the crazy dentist in the original Little House of uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Excuse me, um, a ridiculous role for him, but it fit actually. So, so yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely bow to William Friedkin for making those decisions and bringing in the people that he actually did bring in. Um, I mean, what could we say about the story? Our movie opens in Iraq, in northern Iraq, where they actually did shoot that scene in northern Iraq. Believe it or not, uh, when they shot the opening scene, no Americans were allowed to come out. Um, obviously, this is in the mid-70s. There's still a lot of tension between, you know, the U.S. and the Middle East. So it, it, basically an entire British uh, film crew was sent out to Iraq. They basically didn't tell them that it was an American film that they were making. You know, they it was the uh, under the implication that it was a British film and that everything associated with it was British. So 
So there you go, a little bit of uh, history there. But our amazing opening scene leading us to Chris and Reagan in, you know, out in Georgetown near Washington, D.C. Obviously, Ellen Burstyn's character, Chris McNeil, is an actress. Doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on the film, other than we do get a pretty fun scene of her actually performing in a film. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, we we obviously, you know, we start to get the more supernatural elements after Reagan introduces the Ouija board into the Captain festivities. Howdy. Yeah, Captain Howdy. Exactly. Um, mm. <laughs> excuse me. You know. Obviously, you know, we, we, we get the slow um, up build into, you know, the horror, little things first, you know, noises in the attic, um, you know, um, maybe, you know, Reagan thinks she hears voices or obviously, you know, her the bed shaking it is one of the early things that uh, occurs in this movie. It obviously, you know, it all ramps up to what is still to this day the greatest exorcism scene ever put on film, even though it is a short scene. It's not a very long scene. And if I did have a complaint about The Exorcist, which seems completely illogical that I would have a complaint. That sounds only... sacrilegious. <laughs> you made it funny. Anyway, the only mild complaint I would have is that the ending was very abrupt. Like they didn't if the movie was made in like 2020, they it would have been like a 10-minute long end sequence with Father Karras and Reagan going back and forth blah blah blah. But in 73, you know, it's really quick. He walks into the room, he sees that Father Marin is on the ground dead sees Reagan in the corner laughing. He reacts. You know, we get the transfer of possession and, of course, the famous lunge down the stairs. I, this this fucking movie is just brilliant with its filmmaking, its angiograph, which is really one of the most horrifying scenes in the movie. People talk about, you know, the actual horror of the film, the head turning, you know, the, uh, the self-mutilation with the crucifix, all of that great stuff, but... That angiograph, just holy shit! Like to look, and and the thing is, is I've seen interviews with real doctors, actual neurosurgeons, who say that is one of the most realistic fucking medical procedures they've ever seen set to film, and the fact that that's the scene that really got a lot of people to like pass out, you know, d during the early run of the film, people walking out of the uh, out of the theater, you know, lightheaded, passing out. What there's the famous case of the guy who passed out in the theater, fell forward and broke his jaw on the seat in front of him, ended up suing um, Warner Brothers, ended up suing the production company. Uh, they settled out of court. We have no idea how much money they gave him. I think it's a stupid lawsuit because ultimately you're going to see a fucking horror movie. All right, do, do you not think you're going to get scared? And if you don't, if you think you're going to get scared, don't go if you can't handle it. Uh, obviously, for guys like us who've been in the genre for so long, it, I, I can't fathom being so scared at a film in the theater that I would pass out or feel nauseous or anything like that. But obviously, this is 1973. Hollywood is still fairly young. And, you know, obviously, something like The Exorcist has never been seen before up until this point. So uh, I'm going to shut up about the film and I'm going to go ahead and bring in Mike. Let's bring in Mike and Mike, tell me uh, a little bit about your thoughts on the exorcist. Yeah, it's a, it's an all time classic. I still think it's the best uh, exorcism movie of all time. It, it ha the heights of this movie have not been reached. Uh, you know, I, I think 
lots of movies since have tried to take elements of this to make their own movie, and they've been somewhat successful through the years in their own way. But to me, where this just has the high mark of achievement is the storytelling. If you if you take the exorcism stuff, even like you take Reagan out, the stories of the other characters in the movie, I think, are what really strengthen everything. That's that's what the other movies fail to do. They fail to have the same emotional impact because I think you really feel um for uh the the priest in this. Um Obviously, Reagan, everything happening to her, you're like appalled. You know, anything, something is happening to a child. Uh, it's it's rough. But um, uh, the fact that we're dealing with like Catholic guilt, you know, he, he puts uh, his mother in a home. She passes and he starts getting visions of her. He's kind of struggling with his own thoughts on his, his faith. Uh, you know, eventually he comes back to it, but it, it's a struggle for him. Um, I love the fact that this, it feels like this movie has a little commentary too on the limits of science and medical as well, because, you know, initially, you know, um, the mom, she's doing her due diligence to, uh, get her daughter every form of help she can because she's not so much of a believer. Like, I, I don't think she's straight up like in atheist necessarily but she's more kind of like okay it's just religion and all that stuff is not part of like my zeitgeist like on a daily basis not something i think about much she turns to it out of desperation and like the scene where she's uh talking to the priest and you could tell she almost has like a shame about it that it's had to come to this because literally no other avenue has led to any success and you know she's pretty much willing to do anything um i i agree the possession or the exorcism scene itself probably the best ever captured on screen even everything leading up like reagan's transformation from like just you know normal everyday daughter even before she kind of hits the final form of being um possessed just all the stuff leading up to that is just hard like to to watch happen to a kid that's almost like more painful than the final form because like when her body's kind of like contorting and the one scene where she has the huge uh lump on her throat and lets out the growl uh when the uh i i guess it's like her spirit on the inside says help me on her stomach that's like terrifying um and it, it obviously t- you know one of the priests gets taken out probably the more veteran skilled one gets taken out in the process um the detective character is cool um oh yeah even the scene towards the beginning when she just comes down the stairs and just starts peeing like disturbing stuff like that it's just Mm -hmm. it all adds to this movie it makes it totally memorable uh, it's something that sticks with you. It's it's I don't. It sounds like I don't watch it as frequently as you, but it's definitely one I always feel compelled to revisit, especially after watching like modern <laughs> exorcism movies. Because <laughs> while I still get enjoyment and some like some of they're not all bad, but you just can't feel like you can't help but any time you watch them, you just immediately go back to the exorcist. Like wow, why can't someone just make one as good? Because it, I mean, this was 1973. We're in 2023. 
and we're still talking about it being the best. Like across the board, most people would say, not everybody, but I think most horror fans would still call this the best Exorcism movie of all time. But yeah, you know, as far as just kind of like general thoughts on it, yeah, it, it, I, there's a good damn reason you picked it for yours. So there you go. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Derek, come on in here, buddy. Uh, in time. In time. <laughs> Yeah, what can I say about The Exorcist that hasn't been said over the years? I personally really enjoyed, like, the first time I ever seen this movie, like, I, the theatrical cut, I was, like, kind of like, oh, this is kind of fucked up. And the pulling out crucifix and shit and disemboweling fucking statues of the Virgin Mary in church. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, shit like that. You know, the the, the humor like, of the, the, the whole cop being like a movie fan is hilarious. <laughs> it's it's kind of like freaking's niche because he always kind of throws that in each one of his projects. Or like, you know, it's pretty funny. It's like the fucking Popeye Doyle and fucking the French Connection. You know, let me get a grape drink and find out a grape drink's a candy apple. The fuck? But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking funny. But, uh, Exorcist, it's an amazing movie. Uh, like, Dick Smith, the effects are, oh, like, when she's all, like, possessed and all those, like, head spinning and the vomiting and all that, even the Captain Howdy face, which is kind of pops out of nowhere even more in the new version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool. You know, this, the whole, like, I love the whole opening of this movie because it's like Marin representing good. And then when you see the statue of Bazuzu, that's the epitome of evil. It's like good versus evil standing to face each other. It's a very powerful, like opening, you know, I love it. And yeah. Whole, yeah. Yeah. It's a test of times, too, because it shows, like, you could tell by his reaction at the beginning when he sees the the uh, statue or monument or whatever you would refer to it to, that he's had he's kind of been down this road a few times. And as as stoic as a character that he is, you could tell he, like, fears like when the rematch is coming or like when another <laughs> when another confrontation is coming down the road because he's getting older he he's not as strong and then we see the results of that you know when the time comes yeah yeah and um speaking to Derek's point about the effects how crazy is it that Max von Sydow had to spend 4 hours in the makeup chair to get his effects but uh Reagan only had to be in the chair for 2 hours that's yeah. insane that's, well it's crazy because you know like i thought Max von Sydow was old for like 50 years after this movie. Exactly. <laughs> you know. He's only he's only 44 when they made this film. He was a very young man. Uh, and that make I mean uh, the makeup effects were amazing. And they're so amazing that when Max von Sydow actually did age, he looks like his character in The Exorcist. So that that says a lot about Dick Smith's team, man. They really know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, it was pretty like like you, you, then you see him in Minority Report. I'm like, does this guy have been old for like 50 years? 
<laughs> exactly. I got to say, one of the things that really struck me on this viewing of last week, the iconography of the film, like there are so many individual images that are thought provoking, terrifying, um, spellbinding at times. Um, you know, Derek mentioned the, the Virgin Mary statue in the church. Mike has already mentioned, you know, the Pazuzu statue, but just, you know, throughout this film, we just get some of this beautiful iconography, not necessarily all religious either. I mean, a lot of it, yes, is very religious, but, you know, e even during the party, you know, watching these rich white people you know, get together drinking and to see, you know, Reagan come down and basically just ruin the entire evening with one statement and one action just I, I just think that this is beautiful filmmaking. Um, I will admit, though, like mm -hmm. after watching Scary Movie 2, that kind of ruined that scene for me. Because <laughs> all I think about is that scene from Scary Movie 2, fucking Veronica Cartwright as the mom fucking puts her head in the piss. Bad girl! <laughs> that, that's valid. That's, that's, that's a question I was going to pose, too, because... I, I am kind of interested, like, for, like, the younger generation. Now, I, obviously, it's not only a single generation anymore because so many generations have come <laughs> since then. But, like, living in a world now where, like, A, there's been so many more exorcism movies. B, you can pretty much watch individual scenes at will. And D, just a lot of what was original in this movie had been troped out to the max over the years it's like you almost want to cross your fingers that someone watching the exorcism or the exorcist now hasn't seen too many other movies because I would hate for them to watch the exorcist with a feeling of like, Oh, I've seen all this kind of stuff before and kind of disregard the story elements and the characters. Because to me, I'll, I'll say it again. I think that's what really is a strength of the movie is the cast. They're just all great actors Nothing feels ham-fisted in, in this movie. Like, it's just a very strong uh, written story uh, outside of just the uh, possession stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, to speak about the 2000 director's cut that eventually came out that has eight additional scenes. I'm obviously not going to talk about all eight of them because a lot of them are just kind of extended scenes, things like that. But some of the ones that I really genuinely love, um, right before the exorcism occurs, there's a scene with Father Karras and Father Marin sitting at the stairs talking. That's uh, That was an additional scene in the director's cut, and I I absolutely love that scene. I think it's just such a beautiful dichotomy between that conversation that they're having on the stairs and what they're about to face once they walk into Reagan's bedroom. Absolutely love that scene. Obviously, the spider walk or crab walk, depending on, you know, which uh, creature you go with, is probably the more popular scene that was added in 2000. Um, by far, not my favorite scene that was added, but still very effective, especially at the point in the movie that it's in, because that's right after Burt Dennings dies. Uh, Burke? Mm -hmm. Dennings? Yeah. yeah. It's right after that. And in the original theatrical version, that scene just kind of ends quietly. So it's like they keep the somber feel of, you know, them dealing with the fact that their friend just recently died. But then... In the director's cut, you get Reagan absolutely cut the tension and create more tension with her crab walk down the stairs. Absolutely great. And then Reagan my favorite scene. Hand. Absolutely, yep. 
And then my favorite of the additional scenes is one's one that a lot of people don't talk about, but I I fucking adore this scene. It's the very last scene of the film. The scene between um, uh, the, the uh, yeah Lieutenant Dyer Kinderman and, and Father Diary. Yeah, yeah. Like in, in the original theatrical movie, it ends after um, Chris tries to give the necklace back to father dyer and he tells her to keep it in the theatrical it ends right there but then in the director's cut we get this great scene where lieutenant kinderman kind of comes out of the woodwork uh confronts father dyer basically you know starts talking to him about you know what he thinks happened blah 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 but then he starts the movie conversation again the exact same movie conversation that he had with father Karras, which almost makes it seem it almost makes it seem like the priests have like an in joke with cinema and this cop. I don't know. Maybe they've had interactions with him in the past, like, you know, before the time of the film. But I just I absolutely love that, you know, they end the film almost the way they started it, where, you know, instead of Father Karras, he's talking to Father Dyer and asking him, hey, you want to go see a movie? I mean, it's such a simple, silly little scene. But to me, it just it was the perfect cherry on top. I, not that I ever had a problem with the theatrical ending, but to get this extra little scene, it just made me love these guys even more. Absolutely loved them. Oh, and by the way, more trivia. Uh, the man who played Father Dyer is an actual reverend, uh, William O'Malley. He was an actual reverend at the time. Um, they actually brought him on set originally to perform like a cleansing ritual on set. Uh, of course, he, he basically said, no, he said, no, I'm not going to really do that. That just doesn't seem like anything that's warranted. They ended up offering him the role of Father Dyer in the film. And then before they shot, he did bless the set. So he actually did do a basic blessing to, on the set. And all Didn't the do crew. too good for it. And obviously, after, you know, after watching, you know, how this history has treated this film, yeah, the blessings really didn't do much. I mean, we, you know, between Ellen Burstyn being permanently injured, um, you know, from uh, her getting pulled by William, uh, uh, by the effects guy, you know, in the scene where Reagan is doing the the, the crucifix self-mutilation. I'm trying to be nice and say self-mutilation, not exactly what she's actually doing, but um. Yeah, in that scene when when Reagan hits her and she falls back, you know, she was hooked up to a pulley system that would, uh, you know, pull her. She was complaining that it was hurting. William Friedkin said, "Okay, we'll take it easy. Instead, he looks at uh, he looks at his effects guy and he basically says, pull the shit out of it. Like, just pull the fuck out of it harder than you ever have. And the, the scene that we actually get in the film, her reaction is real. She's actually in fucking pain there, and to this day, she has back problems because of that movie. There's stories of William Friedkin uh, firing a live gun on set just to have the actors on edge all the time. Uh, there's stories about Father, uh, you know, William O'Malley, who played Father Dyer. There's a story where William Friedkin wasn't happy with his performance in the finale when, after Father Karras jumps down the stairs. Um, when he's giving Father Karras last rites, apparently he wasn't happy with his performance there. So at one point, right before he he said action, he literally slapped uh, William O'Malley in the face and then said action instantly. So when you see that face that he's showing, that kind of distraught, you know, a almost despair on his face. I mean, there's a little bit of reality to that because he just got slapped in the face by the director. Um, obviously, 
the story is that nine different people directly or indirectly tied with the movie all died. Obviously, you know, um, Father Karras, uh, the actress who plays Father Karras's mother died very shortly after the release of this film. Uh, the actor who played Burke, Burke, yeah. uh, Burke Dennings, yeah, he died very, very shortly after the release of this film. There were multiple people on the set who um, basically died. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Linda Blair's grandmother died right after the release of this film. So all in total, nine people who were either directly or indirectly connected to The Exorcist died within a couple of months of its release. So obviously, you know, this is considered a cursed film. Obviously, when it was being shot, you had people like Billy Graham, you know, uh, talking shit about it saying that they were glorifying Satanism and that, you know, to the point that Linda Blair was getting death threats, a fucking 13-year-old actress getting death threats for a movie that she did that hasn't even been released yet. <laughs> like, she was getting death threats before the movie even came out. So that just shows you America hasn't really changed all that much, has it? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, where else can I go with this? Um, I'm going to disagree with Derek just a tiny little bit. I didn't like all of the extra Pazuzu faces that we got into director's cut. I think one of them would have been okay, but I think we ended up getting like two or three. And after a while, it was actually bothering me. It's like, okay, I know what Pazuzu looks like. We all know what he looks like. He, she, since it was an actual actress playing Pazuzu. Um, it, it just felt kind of hammy at the time. I have warmed up to it over the years but I still think they maybe went a little overboard with it. Like the, the, the one specifically that bothers me is the one on the stove. Uh, after Chris uh, turns off the light in the kitchen, you see Pazuzu's face on the fan, like awning thing, the cover for the fan. Mm. That one was a little much, I thought. Uh, the rest I thought were okay. And But like I said, I've warmed up to it over the years. It's not like I hate it necessarily. It's just it wasn't something that I actually loved when I first saw it. Um, and where else can we go from here? <laughs> Poor Father Marin. We don't even get to see, you know, Father Marin die in the film, which, you know, sometimes I think same thing with Burke Dennings. Sometimes I think I would have liked to have seen those scenes, but, you know, I'm not going to question William Friedkin. The, the movie is a masterpiece as it is. So I'm not going to second guess any decision he made. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, what what else can be said about this movie? I mean, we all kind of are in agreement. The greatest exorcism movie ever made. Nothing has come close. And of course, now, as we speak, we have a remake of The Exorcist coming, which really upsets me. Mm. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure how you guys would feel or if your is favorite it, movie... Is it, a, is it a requel? Isn't that what... <laughs> I think this is a straight-up remake, like a, a reboot. But, but Ellen Bernstein's in the movie. Ellen Burstyn is in it, that's true. Uh, but from what I understood from David Gordon Green, who is writing and directing the film, oh, which, after watching Halloween Ends, I, I am just so uh, nervous about what he's going to do with The Exorcist. Obviously, I'm going to see it. It's not like I'm going to boycott it. I'm sure it's probably something we'll do on Fresh Cuts, but she's I, gonna, I'm not she's happy about it. <laughs> She's going to play Mother Marin. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be okay with A. Hey, I mean, Rambo, any connection. Oh, Rambo Bernstein. <laughs> any connection yeah, I guess, to the film, uh, I'm down for. But, I guess it goes you know. without saying. It, it spawned a couple sequels, uh, some prequels, a TV show. Uh, season one of The Exorcist was probably the best uh, 
like direct sequel we could yep. we could hope for well, the tie-in. Uh, um, I love Exorcist Three. I, yeah, I fucking adore Exorcist awesome. Three. I mean, I, to, to, it, for my money, that's still the greatest jump scare ever filmed. Uh, the the uh, the nurse and, and the scissors in the uh, in the hospital. Greatest jump scare. No other jump scare has ever done it. The I mean. The only other one that comes close, we're going to be talking about in the next movie that we talk about. But uh, yeah, that that Exorcist three jump scare, and I just love the fact that they actually did have Jason Miller for a little bit, and you know, kind of going back and forth between him and Brad Dorf as the Gemini killer. Um, just yeah, if you haven't seen Exorcist three, I highly recommend it. Ignore all other Exorcist movies; they were never made. The, uh, Exorcist two Heretic. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of that. I don't acknowledge Ooh. that. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. The opening credits folks. intro music is good to that, but that's about it. Yeah, the Indian American. It's been so long. I it. It's been so long since I've seen it. I don't remember the. the I, I remember almost nothing about the film. Thankfully, I think that's a good thing. Um, just, you know, hopefully, I never have to watch it again. Darth Vader's and grasshopper outfits. That is true. Yeah, yeah, we get some Darth Vader action in there. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it for The Exorcist, folks. I mean, what else can I say? It is my favorite movie ever made. Not just favorite horror movie. It is my favorite movie ever made. Absolutely love it. Watch it constantly. There, I am not bored for one minute of this film. And, you know, even though I had a negative experience with it when I first watch it, and a lot of people, a lot of, especially like people in the horror community, still kind of look at The Exorcist the way I did after I first watched it. At least if they watch it, I'll give them credit that they sat through it because it is a long movie. You know, you're looking at two hours and two minutes or two hours and 11 minutes if you're watching the director's cut. So, you know, not exactly an easy movie to get through, but obviously, in my opinion, one of the best ever. So, yeah, that's it for The Exorcist, folks. I, I'm going to tag in Mike. <laughs> tag in. Mike. All right. So I'm tagged in. So we'll transition to a movie that came out. Well, one year, well, I don't know, the month, so sometime in the calendar year after The Exorcist, all the way to 1974. Oh, less than a year? Okay. Yeah, Exorcist was Christmas Day, 73. So I refer to this as, like, the best slasher movie that's kind of not really a slasher in the traditional sense, because I know it gets labeled as a slasher, and I definitely think there are slasher elements, obviously Leatherface, but... I think he's such a single element to this movie compared to like where the franchise went after and how Leatherface became a more prominent role. That I think people... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I think, you know, younger folks that might have seen sequels or remakes or whatnot before they saw the original, they might go back and watch the original and kind of be confused, like, why it's not more Leatherface-centric. Now, that's not to say Leatherface doesn't get off in this movie, because he definitely has his prominence in certain scenes. But to me, like, the, the the family itself are the weird, creepy, disturbing things in this movie. Um, so, yeah, so this, this movie, uh, it's been discussed through the years. The allegories are there. I mean, I, I've heard, like, the explanation of, like, you know, post-Vietnam world where generations are being forgotten and all that that's all there but really it's just one hell of a creepy ass dingy dirty 
you know, movie takes place in the human ass summer of Texas. Uh, if anyone is familiar with the book, the, uh, the chainsaw confidential by Gunnar Hansen, uh, I definitely think it's a companion piece of the movie. Uh, he, he details like what filming was like, uh, how actors and actresses were like, you know, trying to prepare for their roles, what it was like on set, how, uh, he, Gunnar himself who played Leatherface really tried to like method act, uh, as far as like, he would try to keep his distance because he wanted to kind of, uh, maintain like the character because he said it was, I think I remember saying it's hard for him just to jump in and out of it. So he had to kind of maintain some level of being a, a weirdo serial killer. Um, but yeah, like I would say the main, like transitioning from the exorcist, which is like a, a very deep story to go along with the horror. This one, it is much more of like your basic setup of like, what is it? Five, I think friends. Is it five? Yeah. They, they're on a road trip, you know, and end up kind of in the middle of nowhere, Texas, kind of go exploring, pick up a hitchhiker that goes south. But, you know, they survive the initial confrontation with with him, although he does show up later. And, you know, they kind of go exploring to take a break and uh, carnage ensues. And I think one of the strengths of this movie is is I, I think this is one of the earliest examples um, for me, at least, that you come away from this movie thinking it was way more gory than it actually was. And that's a tribute to filming technique, uh, skill of the director, um, because there's so much weird and kind of gross stuff about it that it makes you think you're seeing things much more graphic. I kind of a more modern movie that I compare it to is the first saw uh, that I, I feel like a lot of similar tactics uh, are are used in that where your scenes are set up to be gross and uh, just you know disturbing looking, but what's actually happening isn't as graphic. But it doesn't matter because the way our characters react uh, when she gets put on the meat hook, when the dude gets hit by Leatherface's uh, mallet and his meat tenderizer, mm-hmm. um, the sound design does the work right when you hear his head get hit and it's like that like that does all the work you need and the way he's kind of fidgeting on the ground after the first hit you you almost imagine it being super bloody in your head because you understand what's going on um and to me that's just a that's a testament to you know other ways to uh film things to almost give the power of suggestion versus what you're actually seeing um, if, if you can, if you can get across what's going on in the scene and just have the audience kind of fill in the blanks in their head, I mean, that, that is almost just as effective. Um, now this one, yeah, it's a much quicker movie. It's, it's listed as under 90 minutes. Uh, once it starts, it kind of never lets up. We have, uh, you know, our survivor is Sally. She goes through quite an ordeal. Um, all, <laughs> all her friends and her and and family murdered uh she makes one escape you know about what halfway to three quarters of the movie and you're like okay uh maybe she's gonna get out of there gets roped right back in when she thinks she's found like a friendly out there turns out nope the old man is actually part of the family um I, I, worse of them all yeah and i i i find it interesting because you know 
in a movie like House of a Thousand Corpses, they kind of do that similar thing with Sid Haig's character. Uh, when the main character finds him thinking, oh, he's going to drive me to freedom, and then Otis pops up <laughs> in the back of the seat, uh, back of the uh, car. And, I mean, you know, Rob Zombie's love for this movie, so it's not a surprise that he kind of u- uses that trope there. But um, I, I, I think one of the scariest scenes for me is, I think, I think this is during Sally's initial escape, um, before she makes it to the little gas rest stop thing, when she's running through all like the heavily, heavily wood, wood, what do you, what would you call it? foliage, I guess. And it just keeps getting more dense and more thick. And she's kind of like stuck. You can hear Leatherface in the background with the chainsaw getting closer. Cause obviously he's cutting his way through it. Um, and it's just so effectively done. Th- that is a, like on this particular watch, I kind of clocked it. It's a long, chasing in the middle of the movie like it's not your typical like quick flash chase where it's over it's like she is being put through the ring and i can only imagine what it was like to f- probably have to film that multiple takes over and over with her running through the that those thorny ass bushes like that couldn't have been a uh, fun um and you and like i said in that chainsaw confidential book you get lots of stories about just how nasty it was to be filming out in the human heat. Uh, I believe I saw that the movie was like on a budget of $140,000. And I mean, it was 74. So obviously that money stretches more back then than it would now. But even, even that amount for that time is not much. Um, but yeah, I think this set the table for a lot of movies that came after it. Obviously you can point to a couple other movies that probably, uh, solidified what it meant to be like a slasher movie in the slasher genre, but I still think this one laid a, laid some groundwork for uh, what directly came after it. And uh, I'll leave it at that. But I'll kick it to Venom. Um, <laughs> I know it's it's hard to come up with new things to say, but what do you yeah. <laughs> think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Um, I had the complete opposite experience with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that I had with The Exorcist on first viewing. When I first saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it scared the shit out of me. I thought this was one of the most realistic-looking horror movies. Even though we look at it now and it looks cheap, like it looks very Grindhouse style, that Grindhouse style worked for me when I first saw this. Uh, Probably would have been the early 80s the first time I saw it. And yeah, uh, just I I definitely suffered from the Mandela effect with this one as far as... uh, thinking that I saw more than I actually did. You know, I was one of the people who thought that we see the hook go into, you know, what's her face is back. Obviously we do not. Uh, like Mike said, it's just that beautiful sound design, great camera work, you know, giving us those angles that imply gore, but don't actually show it to us. But then mm-hmm. of course, throughout the film, we're still peppered with actual gore. Like, you know, we actually see like rotting bodies, you know, uh, throughout parts of uh, maybe like outside the house. Like I think they had a scarecrow that was an actual rotting body out there. That was pretty cool. Or that might've been at the cemetery scene, but either way um, there is legit gore in here. It's just not the gore that you think you saw when you walk out of the film. I will say that uh when yeah jerry i think it's is it jerry's death uh when he gets hit with the mallet by the way texas chainsaw massacre continues the trend of every character in a movie named jerry either being a moron or a douchebag and of course here we get the douchebag version of jerry uh 
I defy you to find me a character named Jerry that's not either an idiot or a douche. <laughs> Even to this day, uh, Jerry Smith on Rick and Morty, absolute idiot. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, my, my namesake is <laughs> always treated poorly in movies. But anyway, um, um, back to that death. Mike is 100% correct. The sound design when that mallet hits his head. And that was probably the first time I ever saw a death rattle on screen. And it fucked me up. Like, I did not know that that was a normal thing. Yes, folks, when we watch 99% of horror movies, somebody gets shot or stabbed or hit in the head and they just keel over and die. And that's not real life. There is this thing called a death rattle. Where, where basically it's the body trying to fight being killed, but eventually it just gives in. And like I said, this being the first time I saw a death rattle on screen, it fucked me up. Like, it legit fucked me up. And then days later when I found out that that was a real thing, that that's actually what would happen if you, you know, crack somebody's skull open, it, it just, it fucked me up for a week. So, yeah, this movie... It's low budget, it's grindhouse style, just everything about it works for me. And yeah, the fact that this is not Leatherface's movie, I also love that. I love this family, the hitchhiker, the old man, grandpa, everybody in this movie is just absolutely insane to the point where Leatherface almost seems normal. <laughs> almost, mind you, almost. Yes, he's wearing other people's faces. I understand that. But <laughs> at least Leatherface doesn't torture people. Leatherface just will kill you, period. Yeah. Whereas the cook and the hitchhiker, they like to fuck with their victims. They like to play with their food, basically. And yeah, that just, that element of it just always, especially early on in my horror adventure, um, that just really, really fucked me up. And the, um, Mike mentioned the pacing of the film. This pacing is amazing. You know, you know, once once uh, the hitchhiker shows up, the movie never lets up after that. You know, from the hitchhiker on, it's just balls to the walls, fast pace, and even the slower scenes are just so goddamn tense. I uh, on this watch, I really appreciated the scene where uh, Sally and her guy—I'm not sure if it was Jerry or the other guy—are coming back from the dried up watering hole and the sun is setting that shot is fucking amazing. It looks gorgeous with the sun setting in the background. It's just amazing. And then by the time they get back to the house, it's totally dark out. And then the real horror begins. Uh, I mean, you know, the formula of this film is absolutely amazing. Uh, even watching this the first time, I knew this was going to turn into a franchise. Like when I first saw this Texas chainsaw two wasn't even an idea yet. And then, you know, getting to see Texas Chainsaw 2, falling in love with that movie for slightly different reasons than I fell in love with the original, because it is a slightly different movie. It, you know, they take a little bit more levity with the horror in that one. It's the horror is still there. The gore is still there. But obviously, you know, they, they, they kind of inject a little bit more comedy, which I'm very OK with because I absolutely adore the second movie, too. Oh, yeah. Um, Right up through the chase scene, right up through the dinner scene, which, I mean, I could watch the dinner scene every day. Like, literally just cut that piece out, put it on a loop in my house, and I can happily watch it every time. Watching the despair in um, Sally's eyes, I, I, I fucking love the close-up shots of her eyeballs. Oh, um, they, uh, a fan made a great poster using that image of just the close-up of her eyeball. And it was amazing. Oh, hold on. I got a cough.
Okay. So all the way through, like I said, all the way through the dinner scene out into the escape, which, you know, it left it open-ended because obviously only one member of the family is dispatched by the end of the film, but it, it just leaves you with so many questions. It's like, yes, okay, Sally got out, but what about all the other people that are going to run into this family eventually? So Sally. It just Oh, I left it so open. I love the truck driver who was able to get the upper hand on Leatherface by throwing the wrench at him. I thought that oh, was I love cool. those weaknesses, wrenches. <laughs> I mean, that's probably everyone's weakness. I mean, wrenches are pretty fucking a wrench to hard. the head. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they even they even get thrown in Mario in some Mario games <laughs> yeah, by by moles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I thought the broom the broom beating was funny. See, like I said, even when there's horrible things happening, um, there's still they inject just a little bit of levity into the film. And yeah, you get stuff like you know the hitchhiker or uh, you, I forget. Uh, I think it was the cook hitting the hitchhiker with the broom. I thought that was fucking great. Um, yeah, grandpa. I thought one of the most disturbing things is when Sally's tied up at the dinner table. And she's obviously like begging and pleading to be let go. And the grandpa, he he almost <laughs> for like one or two seconds looks at her with like a blank face of like concern. And then it immediately goes to him grinning and laughing and mocking yeah. her. And it's just like, uh. oh, shit. And the fact yeah. that like I think when Sally first escapes and then she runs back upstairs into the room and sees like – I think it's the dead, rotting grandma, but the grandpa, and you assume, at least at that point, I think I assumed the grandpa was dead, too. Yeah. Yep. And then until he starts drinking the blood off her finger, it's like, holy shit, that grandpa's alive. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, just everything Sally has to go through in that scene, even once she gets out of the house and the hitchhiker is slicing her back with the straight edge, just, ah, this poor girl goes through so much shit. Um... At the end of my notes, I actually had a question uh, about the movie that I've never had before. Who's the window washer at the gas station? He did a like, shitty it, job. Is, he, is, is that literally like just his job, or is he a member of the family that we just never see again? <laughs> I don't know, because he's, he's not in later either. No, he's not in later or any other movie. It's just, but I found it odd that this family would actually like hire and pay someone when they've got like multiple members of the family that could run the gas station slash barbecue stand. You know, when they're, so, when they're barbecue and feeding shit. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this watch left me wondering who the window washer is. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> he's like yeah. fucking Igor from fucking Death Kappa. Yeah, oh shit! Yeah, that was a reference. <laughs> yeah, fuck! You're referencing other shows now. I like it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, again, you know, what what else can I say about Texas Chainsaw? It affected me the first time I saw it. It affected me this time watching it in 4K. And the nice thing about 4, even though it's in 4K, it still has that grindhouse feel. It still looks like a cheap movie. It's just a lot clearer now. That's all. You know, instead of my dirty VHS copy that's been watched 112 times, I actually get to see a nice, pristine transfer of it. But, it, you know, I was always concerned that it would take away from the grindhouse factor of it. But I can happily say that it doesn't. I, it still solidly feels like a cheap movie from 1974. You know, it, it just looks like it was transferred nicely. But, yeah, 
I mean, uh, I, I think I'm good on Texas Chainsaw. Like I said, I could go, I, I could probably go on for hours, but you know, I gotta let Derek go. <laughs> Hell yeah! Hmm. Pa- pass the mic, Sally. Oh, Franklin, what can we start? <laughs> this is the first time we meet Franklin. You, he doesn't want to be here. He he's just taking a piss on the side of a road and he falls down a hill. <laughs> so, I'm a Franklin apologist. Poor Franklin didn't even want to be there. <laughs> it's fucking bad. Poor Franklin. Yeah, poor Franklin, but he is still kind of a dick. <laughs> I would be a dick too. Did you see how people ignore him? Valid. I mean, it's got to suck to be a paraplegic amongst, you know, friends who are fully abled, um, you know, because you can't do everything that they can do. I I totally understand that life would probably kind of suck. But why would he even go on this trip? Like what part of going to visit a cemetery to check out their grandfather's grave to make sure that it wasn't vandalized? Like what part of that sounds fun to Franklin? Like I'm I'm actually surprised he even went. (laughs) Yeah, he's probably thinking like. Maybe I'll be in the remake script where we go to Skinner's. <laughs> oh, fucking. Oh, oh, God. Fucking uh, Pam is pretty nice to look at. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Voluptuous. Can't really complain about any. Walking uh... up to the house, walking past the swing set. It's like, hell. Oh, the man. classic shot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would put that up on my wall. <laughs> the hitchhiker's the greatest. Like the whole scene with him is like, you see like the tension building throughout it. It's like, what the fuck is going to happen? It's fucking great. I yeah. love that it starts yeah. slow though. Like he doesn't play crazy the instant he gets in the car. He almost seems like he might be well adjusted, but then as soon as he starts talking, that's it. Yeah, when he well, pulls a knife, uh, I'll go ahead. I also like the fact that, like, obviously you'd only get this on our first time watch, but the first time you see the movie, you don't really know at that point that he's even connected to anything that happens later. You just figure, oh, they ran into some weirdo, and now the weirdo's gone, and they'll just go on with their day. This is the weirdest group of friends ever, because Sally's, like, fucking fucking Loretta Lynn and fucking Coal Miner's daughter. Then you got her boyfriend, who's like a disco nerd. Then you got fucking Kurt, who doesn't say a word. He just looks like he shit himself the whole movie. <laughs> and then you got Franklin and Pam. They're like, we're fodder. And then you got the the old man, Jim Sado. Fucking yeah. hilarious. Uh, Gunnar Hansen, the other face. Fucking iconic stuff. And the movie's like, like, you know, the score by Toby Hooper, fucking weird and psychedelic. And we forgot to mention, like, the best actor in this movie is fucking the narrator, John Larroquette. Yes, working for weed. <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's pretty great. I think that sums it up. Pretty great movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is. It is. Really great. I, I was really appreciating the editing on this last watch. It's it's such a nice, crisp edit. 
Um, you know, no wasted shots. I feel like there's no wasted shots. Like even even just like a quiet shot outside of the house, just you know, look with the windmill in the background or, or the generator going. I it just looks so nice. Yeah, I mean, despite this being a kind of a guerrilla production, you know, cheaply made and you know, basically just made with a bunch of friends. I, I think this movie is masterfully put together. I mean, whether Toby Hooper ever hit, you know, the heights that he did with this movie again is debatable. You know, it depends on who you talk to. But, uh, yeah, this movie is just gorgeous. You know, I, I at, growing up, I looked at it as this dirty little movie, you know, out of Texas or whatever. But then just as I get older and I really appreciate and then the 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 backstories too, like the behind the scenes stuff, like Mike mentioned seeing one of the, uh, you know, documentaries. I also have one from 1988 called uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, A Family Portrait, mm-hmm. where they actually interview, you know, all of the uh, uh, the original, the, the villains. They basically just interview all the villains, uh, Grandpa, the Hitchhiker, the Old Man, and Gunnar Hansen. And that's a, a great documentary. Like, I actually found that on Blu-ray at a show, at a, at a convention, at a Monster Con, and was very happy to pick that up. That's another one. I end up, I generally end up watching that right after I watch Texas Chainsaw almost every time. Cause like I said, it's from 1988. So it looks, you know, you can kind of see that it's shot on video. It looks cheap. It looks old, but to actually see all of these actors, especially grandpa to see grandpa outside of the makeup, it's just, it's almost jarring. Cause I think the guy who played grandpa was actually one of the youngest people on the set. <laughs> so yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. That, that makeup must've taken forever. Unless that makeup was all one big piece, which I doubt it could have been on their budget. Man, he must have been in the chair for a long time. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, good stuff. All no. right. Then I I think we're going to exit Texas and what? Head to Italy? Matul. <laughs> New York. Oh, no. New York no. first. New York, then Matul. Oh, that's true. Yeah, New York. Yeah, first. we gotta we gotta board a boat in New York. So, uh, Derek, uh, take it away. The boat can leave now. Tell the crew. <laughs> yeah, Zombie from 1979, directed by Lucio Fulci, written by Elisa Brigianti, and uncredited Dardano Scatetti, who uh, mm-hmm. would. Him and Fulci had, like, a very great career. This was, like, kind of the start of, like, their relationship or working on projects. We would go in later to movies like City of the Living Dead, which we covered, The Beyond, House by the Cemetery, and so on for a few more years. Manhattan Baby. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not all the, it was a run. It was a good run until that one. But uh, every good streak must come to an end. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Also, returning to the show, we got Tisa Farrow stars in this movie. We Ooh. talked about we talked about her on the episode when we talked about Anthropophagus. Yep. Oh yeah, Ian McCulloch, the great Ian McCulloch as Peter West. I am Peter West. Uh, also returning to the show is Richard Johnson who we talked about when we talked about The Haunting Mm -hmm. Dr. Minard Al Cliver awesome name for an actor (laughs) especially when you're trying to be American (laughs) we got 
uh, Susan Barrett, played by Aretha Gay. Then we got Stefania Del Mardo as Nos Clara. Oh, so, oh, oh, so many good people in this movie. And, uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, I always, the thing that always brings me to this movie is just the atmosphere of, like, this movie. It's, like, you, you just get, like, that feel, like, what this movie's going to be, like, from that opening shot with the gunshot, you know, and then the title card with this amazing, like, score by Fabio Frizzi playing and you just get sucked into it and you know and you go to New York where you know there's this boat investigation there's a giant bow zombie in this scene and you know and then the, you know Peter West gets on the case hears about the story hooks up with this other girl played by Tisa Farrow who's looking for because it was her father's boat so then it goes, digs deeper, and then it goes into this investigation where it leads to this island where, which is kind of like the cool concept of this movie because they don't actually give a definitive answer, but they, they like present like things that you would hear in like, like early, like zombie, like when it was like voodoo zombie movies. But they also mentioned maybe like the, kind of ambience of like a Romero zombie movie. And it kind of combines those two together, which is interesting in that aspect of it. And man, some of the best looking zombies are in this movie. Like iconic, like the boat zombie fucking, you just see like the progression of like some of their, like when all those ones rise in the graveyard, you can see like their rotten flesh and you know, Tons of like talks that I had about this movie because I reviewed this movie like this is the third time I talked about zombie and you know even Mike joked about it in the chat bad worm placements happening right now <laughs> yeah the classic line yeah and you know that that zombies have been the face of this movie for decades now uh yeah you know. Am I going to sit here and say, is it better than a lot of like the Romero zombie movies? Absolutely not. Cause you know, it's, it play, it has like its own flavor. It's not, you know, even though this was kind of sold as a sequel to Dawn of the dead, you know, <laughs> it kind of adds like its own, like a little flavor to it, which I like about it without kind of, you know, being, you know, like a total ripoff of Dawn of the Dead. That's what I'm trying to get. Where the, I was trying to not use that word with these type of movies, because there's tons of like movies that would become later ripoffs of like both of these movies. In that sense, you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, I love this movie with a passion. It's uh, atmospheric. It has a great setting. I love. It has a zombie fighting a shark. <laughs> Mic drop. You know? Yeah. No special effects. A real goddamn shark. Yeah, and it's fucking great. You know, you, you can't really say that. You know, I, I love when I, like, because uh, the last time I reviewed this movie, I actually had Lacey's sister on that show with Nikki, and, you know, it was her first time watching it. And she's like, as we talked about, like, that, that whole scene for, like, 20 minutes. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I could babble about this movie for decades. <laughs> or, you know, but I'm gonna, I'll go with Venom first. 
Venom. Man, zombie. This uh, this is another one just like Texas Chainsaw Massacre where the first time I saw it, I rented it at a video store. I knew nothing about it. All I knew was that that zombie on the cover looks fucking awesome. And once I saw the movie, I, yeah, I, I absolutely fell in love with it. I love the fact that these zombies aren't just a ripoff of Romero zombies. They kind of, they have a little bit of the Romero zombie, but then they also have a little bit of the voodoo, the voodoo zombies, uh, you know, the old voodoo zombies of, you know, the very spirit uh, serpent in the rainbow, if you will, you know, the, the traditional voodoo practice of, you know, bringing people back from the dead or making them look like they're dead and then bringing them back as mindless zombies. I, I, I thought that was amazing. The, the fact that they, utilize that kind of look for the zombies whereas romero zombies are always either you know gory cut up or they're you know a a person who just recently died so they basically just look human this one with with these zombies i mean the the way that he caked on the makeup it just made them look like they've been buried for years and that's important for a zombie movie because you know, sometimes the zombies just look too fresh. Like you'll see a zombie crawl out of a grave and he barely has any damage to him, you know. But here, like these zombies look like they've been buried for a long time. So I always appreciated that. I love the fact that most of the zombies don't open their eyes. Some, you know, something that we, you know, should know about physics is that when the human body dies, it's usually the eyes that decompose first because they're soft. They're incredibly soft. Um, so hence the worms in the eye, it's not bad worm placement. The worms would attack the eyes first. So that totally fucking makes sense. And then later on, when we see that zombie with all the worms around its mouth, once again, they're going after the tongue, uh, another soft, you know, predators always go for the softest part of the body first. Cause it's the easiest to rip off, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so yeah, I, I always appreciated the look of these zombies, the score. I, I, I fucking adore the main theme of this movie. The fact that it actually has a connection to Godzilla, I think is fucking great. And, you know, anyone who knows me knows I also love big G and it's all of those movies. So the fact that there's, you know, little elements of the original Godzilla 54 score in this as well. Just, I just absolutely love that. The main theme is so recognizable. You know, every time it comes on throughout the movie, it's like, you know, something gnarly is about to happen. Obviously, you know, we've got some iconic kills in this movie, you know, lots of, you know, heads getting shot off. Obviously, you know, Dr. Menard's wife and the eye poke, the eye squish, just absolutely classic. I just watched Zombie again last night, um, you know, for the show, and that that effect still works. It just absolutely works. Yes, it's very obvious that it's a, you know, prosthetic head, you know, when when the actual wood goes into the eye, but they did such a good job with it. The mouth on the prosthetic head still moves, so there's still that element of realism to it that she's experiencing this pain, every bit of it. Um, Yeah, uh, just a classic scene. I, I, I kind of put that one up on a par with um, the girl puking up her guts in City of the Living Dead is, is another scene that another oh, death yeah. scene that always kind of stood with me, stayed with me for, you know, all the over these decades. And the eye poke is just absolutely another one on top of the fact that, you know, Dr. Menard's wife was gorgeous. I got to say, Fulci knows how to pick his women <laughs> despite our Aretta gaze 
awful hairdo in this movie. She's a legitimately beautiful woman. So, yeah, I'll mm-hmm. accept that she a pet hairdo, you know? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, even the nurse, even the nurse who's not hot, but she's incredibly cute. Like, it's just all four of the women in this movie all attractive in their own ways, you know? Tisa Farrow, you know, has that, you know, Farrow cuteness that we all know from, from Mia, blah, blah, blah. Um, performances, I have no problems with any performances here. You almost feel bad for Dr. Menard, you know, until you realize that he kind of brought this upon himself, experimenting with these voodoo practices and, you know, accidentally waking up the dead. Um, you almost feel bad for him. Um, obviously, you know, he doesn't treat his wife very well. So once that scene goes by, you kind of lose that sympathy that you have for him, especially when he smacks her. It's like, I mean, she did nothing to deserve you smacking her, dude, but whatever. Alpha males. It's how they act. So. Ah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you say something that he doesn't like, he's going to slap the shit out of you. But ultimately, great performances, great kills, um, amazing looking zombies, beautiful cinematography, editing. Um, like I said, the score, I mean, there, there's really very little to complain about this movie, you know? Um, I've, I've heard some people complain about the lack of blood, like actual like blood, like gore, like, you know, human victims being killed. But I, I think that it's a good level of what we get, you know? Yeah. It's, it's 1979. You know, we're not expecting, you know, Terrifier 2 by any stretch, but... For 1979, it's a damn good amount of gore, but ultimately it's the zombies that really shine through in this one for me. Their design, the way that they act, you know, the way that, the, the fact that most of them have their eyes closed. You know, you only really see a couple of zombies in the whole movie with their eyes open. <laughs> that one, the one female zombie with the cross eye always makes me chuckle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I could almost hear her voice. Duh, duh, duh. <laughs> just, I don't know. It just makes me laugh every time. Uh, but yeah, um, this is probably my second favorite zombie movie of all time. Nothing's going to touch Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead is a fucking masterpiece to me. But this one is right there on a par with it. Uh, just so much fun. It never gets old, just like Dawn of the Dead. Um, you know, you've got, you don't have as much social commentary in this one as you do in Dawn, but there's still a little bit there, you know, with the doctor and the way that he treats the locals and everything else. So yeah, I just, what, what else can we say about the film that hasn't been said? Just a great movie. No reason that a a horror fan should not watch this at some point. If by some freak of nature, you haven't seen all three of the movies that we talked about today, um, you've got homework. Check them out. They're they're some of the best movies ever made. So you got to watch them. Actually, before I go to Mike, you know the the actual like poster zombie. We actually talked off here. You recently, and you we talked about a movie called Rats Night of Terror. That's right. <laughs> and, and the guy who played Kurt is actually the zombie from Zombie. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, the the Kurt Russell, Italian Kurt Russell. Exactly, yep, the Italian Kurt Russell. Holy shit. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's funny. (laughs) And Yeah, another shout-out to Giannata De Rossi did the effects for this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, We actually talked about him when we did Killer Crocodile because he did the the crocodile in that movie. (laughs) Nice. <laughs> yeah, and it's it, amazing. He would later go on to do like high tension, which with that awesome scene with like that fucking with 
a head smashing in that movie. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I just love, you know this is why I love Italian movies. It's like this is the this is a great gateway Italian movie because you know some of their pot plots are kind of convoluted and shit. But you know this one is straightforward. It just goes for the ride, and you go on like this journey throughout it, and it's great. Yeah. Michael. Yeah. Yeah, um, that last point you just brought up, Derek, um, that's a a major plus for this movie is its accessibility. If if there's, you know, a lot of people talk about Suspiria being like Argentra's entry point. I consider Zombie to be a Fulci entry point for people who aren't familiar with Italian cinema or just Fulci specifically because out out of all his movies, this one feels kind of like the most straightforward zombie movie it's kind of made in the vein of a romero movie but in an italian coat of paint right um i remember the first time i i rented it from the video store on vhs and i knew nothing about it other than i think like what venom said i saw the the grotesque looking zombie on the cover and by that time i had seen like romero movies probably some other just random zombie movies and it was like the next one that I had never seen. And I was like, what the hell is this all about? And, uh, it might've been my first Italian zombie movie. I think I had seen Suspiria already, but as far as, uh, Fulci, definitely my first Fulci movie. And man, it, it, it's like, it's like Romero style, but with ramped up gore. And I like the, the regional flavor to it taking place, um, overseas. I like that. It kind of starts, in america but we go to like a different um location um i like kind of like the backstories of like the region of where the zombies are kind of popping up you have like what the spanish conquistadors almost coming (laughs) out of the ground um i think uh the that standoff at the hospital is it a hospital i think like their makeshift hospital they call it that it's more like a clinic Yeah. yeah Uh, that's just amazing. Like the, and to me, it uh, um, it's the antithesis of why I like slow zombies, is because the fact that you kind of always feel like you have it under control for a little while, but they just keep coming, even though they're coming slowly. It's kind of like the creeping death, um, the the false sense of security. Like, oh, I've killed a few zombies. We we're getting the upper hand, but. They just don't stop, and eventually they take out members of your squad, like, one at a time, slowly, until you're, like, the only one left, and uh, you got to get the hell out of there. Um, and then, like, the ending is so cool. Like, I mean, it's terrifying, but it's cool that they think they've made it safely back to America, and whoops, this is a worldwide thing going on. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just... It's really good. I think it's a great first Fulci movie to get people in. Uh, I love the the uh, the score of it. That main theme is like regularly in my uh, playlist rotation. Uh, never not in the mood to hear that kick up. Um, what else? Uh, the obviously the eye scene is is ridiculous. Uh, the first of many Fulci eye scenes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I just love this movie. And I this is one of the few movies that I like. I've kind of, ever since I had it on VHS, I think I've bought it 
in every format. I had like the mm-hmm. the VHS, the bare bones DVD, the two disc. I think it was twenty fifth anniversary. The Shriek Show um, edition, I, yeah, yeah. I I still have that one. I have the Blu-ray, and I plan on getting the 4K. Um, it's on my wish list, and I'll I'll, I'll grab it eventually. I, but I have like four Blu-rays of, my, of this movie. <laughs> is Blue Underground one of the releases that did the Blu-ray? Yeah, they is did that the DVD. Yeah, they, they did the Blu-ray. Yeah, and, and the cool thing is I've given away a lot of copies of it too, like when I've upgraded just because mm-hmm. I want to – I think it's a, it's one of the movies like to to kind of show to other people. Like I, I'd i be more hesitant to like give away a copy of The Beyond because I would be afraid someone would watch it and they'd be like confused about just what the hell is going on. But with Zombie, obviously you're going to see some differences in style, but at the end of the day it's still pretty much a – like a straightforward zombie movie. So I think it's an easy movie to like hand off to someone that wants to like expand the horizon and say, here, check this out. Like it's zombie familiar, versus but shark. New at the same time. <laughs> zombie versus shark. I think I mentioned it on other shows where I've talked about this, but, uh, a, a local film festival troupe that, that screened this movie, they usually do, uh, like live theater stage shows leading up to the movie. And they usually pick a scene and they did kind of a live stage show of the zombie versus shark. So that was cool to see that live, uh, before the movie. And yeah, getting the chance to see this on the big screen was amazing. It it is so cool. But yeah, one of my all time faves as well. Yeah. That you, you can't talk enough about that zombie versus shark scene. It just, especially after you watch the special features and you realize like that, Apparently the story is the actor that was supposed to play that zombie that day got sick and didn't make it to set. So they actually had the shark trainer uh, in the zombie makeup in that scene. And I feel like the fact that they use the trainer makes that scene more believable because obviously it's not the shark that's selling the scene. It's the zombie that's selling the scene. You know, he's the one that's getting his arm ripped off. He's the one that's kind of not in his uh, native surroundings you know he's underwater usually he'd be out on land so obviously the advantage is for the shark but the fact that the actor was able to sell it just and and uh, like i said i just watched it again last night and i i really meticulously watched that scene and it's not a dull scene like even though the, the obviously the shark had just been fed before they shot the scene he had also been sedated so obviously the shark isn't like you know marauding or doing any you know death turns or anything like that yeah. but the zombie the the the, uh, the shark trainer slash zombie actor really sold the scene and it it totally worked for me and uh, and also i forgot to mention one of my favorite kills in the fucking movie is the the zombie who gets his head squished with the crucifix with that big ass crucifix i thought that's that was a great awesome. kill it's a quick one they don't really linger on it long but i, I thought it was great yeah <laughs> yeah i have i have this awesome shirt from paul bearer press of this movie and i could <laughs> i can never wear it from work cuz it's one of that shirts that has an image on the front but it also has an image on the back and you know what the image on the back is why is the zombie yeah, in the sh- it's Susan naked with the shark and the zombie in the background? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it has nipples and all. That's I'm like, hilarious. I'm like, that's Damn a great it. shirt. It is. It's one of my favorites. 
Yeah, I'll give Fulci credit, man. He can pick his female actresses. <laughs> They're always good looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mrs. Marchand, Menard, Olga Carlados. I seen her. Mm-hmm. In a few, I forgot to mention her in the. Yeah, she yep. was uh, in one of my favorite westerns, Kiyomo with Franco Nero, which is pretty yes. awesome. Yeah, and she also worked with Fulci again in a uh, Murder Rock. She was oh, nice. Yeah, Murder Rock, <laughs> and she would also. Play Prince's mom in Purple Rain. Oh wow, that I totally didn't realize. Yeah, (laughs) which is like funny when I look because I'm like, wait, I think I've seen this lady before. (laughs) And I looked it up, I'm like, yeah, she killed Clarence Williams the third in Purple Rain. (laughs) Yeah, that bitch. And of course, (laughs) Fulci doing his Hitchcock, he plays Peter West's boss. Right. Yep. You know, it's always great when you see Fulci pop up in these movies. Uh, <laughs> and fucking Peter, Ian McCulloch's like James Bond. I love the scene on the boat with him and Tisa Farrow. I, uh, <laughs> that was a great one. It's so funny. Like, they just pretend to be like a couple that makes out in boats. <laughs> I can't believe they got away with that, too. Like, 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 what's the difference if they're snooping on the boat or, or trespassing to have sex? It's so weird that that plan worked, but I can see how it would. So I, yo, it's not like I'm calling bullshit or anything. Yo, yo, oh, this, yo, and every time, like, whenever they show, like, Peter, Ian McCulloch's, like, real bald spot in the movie, I'm like, yeah, man, trying- <laughs> man, this man is my hero. I feel like- <laughs> He's the Italian Tom Atkins. He is. <laughs> and I got to say, um, the final shot of the movie, the Brooklyn Bridge, um, I know a lot of people complain about the fact that, you know, they couldn't stop traffic to shoot the scene and that traffic is flowing normally at the bottom. I actually like that shot because the traffic is down there. It gives a nice dichotomy of, you know, the people that are on the road are they're thinking uh, they're just going to work. It's a normal day. Nothing's different. But then above them is literally their demise, just, you know, building and, you know, walking towards Manhattan Island. And I, I love the dichotomy of that. Just seeing the cars at the bottom completely oblivious to what's about to happen. I love that. Yeah. I'm so glad they couldn't stop the traffic. Yeah, because it tells me it's not in full on zombie apocalypse yet. It's just starting. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because when, when something's relegated to like a certain region, sometimes things are still going normal in other places. Right. And if, if the, if the zombie attacks are just starting, the whole world's not shut down instantly. Like that's not the way it would, especially back then. Like you can make a yeah. case, like if the same movies made now with the internet and how fast word travels, it would be different. But back then you're looking at legacy media that things take a lot longer to spread like that. Yeah. Actually, uh, the, the, you know, the, the co-writer of this movie, Scarnetti, he also wrote the screenplay for demons the Lamberto Bava movie, which kind of has a similar end <laughs> too. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Oh man, this movie. It's mic drop. Zombie versus shark. That's yeah. I mean, that scene alone is amazing. But there's so many classic yeah. scenes here too that just it works yeah, so well. Yeah. I also, yeah, like. The scene that I always love is like the discovery of Menard's wife's corpse when you just see the zombies just eating her. Oh, and then they're not even paying and they're not even paying attention to anything else in the room. Yeah, I like, remember 
I, I remember the first time I watched this movie because the first zombie attack on the boat, he attacks that guy, bites him, and then walks away. So I actually thought that these zombies weren't motivated by food. You know, m- most zombies, you know, they're they're flesh eaters. They obviously the movie was called Zombie Flesh Eaters in in uh, in Italy. But the first time I watched it, I thought, wow, that's kind of different. That these zombies don't care about eating; they just want to kill. They see someone who's alive and they want to make them unalive. And I'm, I was very okay with that. Obviously, as the movie goes along, eventually we do start seeing them actually eating flesh, and I was still okay with it, you know? I, I, I thought that that first zombie attack, you know, the fact that he didn't stay with the corpse and start eating, he just killed him and then went after the other cop, I thought that was a great choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I've I noticed, like, a lot of zombie movies kind of play with that idea, too. It's like, they do consume flesh, but they also like if any live uh, victims or potential targets show up, they kind of like immediately direct their attention to that. Almost mm-hmm. like, oh, if there's something more fresh. I'm going to go after that. <laughs> exactly. Oh, ooh, food. <laughs> I've already tasted they want this their lady. Fresh I want to go taste that lady. And then, oh, of, yeah. then, the, and then it just gets over exaggerated in Return of the Living Dead. More brains. Yeah, Return oh, yeah. of the Living Dead By is a that, whole other yeah. animal. I mean, I, I, I look at that as almost a comedy, which, you know, and I still love the movie. Don't get me wrong. I'm not disparaging it. Um, but, you know, the introduction of the brains thing, you know, because th- that kind of became mm-hmm. the vernacular with zombies, you know, brains. But it's like none of the Romero zombie movies ate brains. You know, none no. of his zombies ate brains. Not brains specifically, so, yeah. Exactly. You know, but I, I, I'll still give Return of the Living Dead credit for kind of introducing that, um, you know, to the zeitgeist and and, you know, obviously the fact that it's pretty fucking funny <laughs> altogether. Yeah, That's it's a very one of those... self-aware movie. It's yep. very self-aware that understands how, like, you can make a comedy movie, but let's still put some cool horror stuff in it. Yep. Yeah. Suicide is my favorite character. This is a weird life. <laughs> trash man trash <laughs> taking off her clothes again she's getting naked again uh, <laughs> i love that everybody's just like re- resolved to have to deal with it Ah, oh, fuck it she's naked again oh well <laughs> whereas all whereas us 15 year olds watching it are like oh she's naked <laughs> yeah oh yeah for like thing uh, hey, uh. <laughs> oh with her prosthetic vagina <laughs> Venom, I'm I'm assuming you've seen Lene Quigley at cons before, right? Oh yeah, uh, I, she I, I is think so I just saw tiny. Yeah, she is, tiny. She is a, like just yeah. a tiny. I, I had no idea. Yeah, she's a, yeah, she's little. I had no idea she was I, that yeah. short the first time. Yeah, the first time I didn't realize it was her at first because she she wasn't at her booth. She was kind of like walking around, and someone like told me it was her. I was like really i was like oh my god she's just a tiny human being <laughs> yeah she's really thin too like she didn't she didn't like keep her 80s shape if you will not to say that you know she let herself go yeah, i'm no, just saying no. with age yeah. you know we all age yeah but i was that's what struck me is how thin she was i was like oh holy shit yeah, it's no more than Linnea's workout <laughs> exactly yeah the 80s horror workout Linnea's cool down for cool down and sober. I won't. I won't lie. I watched it billions of times. Yeah, 
Oh, well, all right. That's uh, it. I these guess. are three of our favorite movies, listeners. Like, if you if you haven't seen them, I would hope our listeners have seen it. And this is more kind of a celebration episode, but if yeah. not, uh, all three are recommended highly by all three of us. <laughs> Um, I, I would so go farther than recommend. I would say must watch. Like this, this is essential viewing. Yeah, well, not you only call yourself viewing, a horror but fan. If you are a collector, buy them. Yeah, yeah. even if you're not going to buy them, I mean, there's no reason to call yourself a horror fan. I'm not going to be a gatekeeper and say you're not a real horror fan if you've never seen Zombie. But I'm saying it's definitely a rite of passage to see these three films. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if you if if you if you have never owned them, two of the three are on 4K right now, so that's a good opportunity as well. Uh, one day, yeah, the Exorcist I'm, I'm, will be 4K. Yeah, I mean, really, I, I mean, we all know is, the Exorcist will be, but it just yeah. isn't yet. I'm yeah. hoping it's this year because it's the 50th anniversary. It would make sense to put out the 4K this year, uh, though I haven't heard anything. Like you know, I, I watched the 4K announcements and it's nothing just, about the Exorcist yet. Yeah, it just blows my mind that, like, Tammy and the T-Rex has a 4K with the Exorcist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Maybe a cop right too has a it's, fucking 4K. Might be, it might be tougher to acquire something like with the status of this. Who knows? I own that, that Maniac Cop 2 4K. It's awesome. <laughs> I almost oh, bought man. it at the last show I went to, but I spent so much money I decided to pass this time. I'll get it next time. Yeah. <laughs> I spent, like... What I spent almost six hundred dollars on four Ks at at Monster Palooza last October. I, I went overboard. <laughs> wow, I feel you. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our talks on these movies and episode fifty of No More Room in Hell. It's yeah. been a great episode fifty. Great fifty episodes. Uh, yeah, I want to make just... every effort to get back to regular recording. So. Stick with us. Uh, For sure. I mean, this, this was literally recorded on yeah. the third day of March, so hopefully we can get another March episode out like later in the month, too. I think we can, yeah. Definitely. I think we could do it. <laughs> and and we have a guest next episode, so that's exciting. We haven't had a guest in a while. Yeah, yeah that's true. All right, well, before we get out of here, uh, it's been a while since we've done this on this show, at least, but let's <laughs> let everyone know if, if what and anything new that uh, we have for people to listen to uh, Venom. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you only listen to this show, everything we're going to talk about is new since we haven't gotten together in a few months, but yeah. Um, let's see. No more room in hell presents creature comforts. You can hear Derek and myself with Mr. Don and Nelly talk about some of our favorite creature features. Our latest episode literally just dropped today. That's episode 15, where we looked at 1957's The Monster That Challenged the World. Um, a first-time watch for a couple of us, and I, I think one of us was uh, higher on the film than the other two, but a fun episode nonetheless. It's a quick one, too. I think it was only like only clocked in at about 44 minutes uh, for that episode, so one of our shortest ones, so check that out. Max, That's available you, now. you would have loved it. It was about giant killer sea snails. Yep, that... Oh, that nice. um yeah, ejaculate on everything. Yeah, they come in everywhere. <laughs> uh, well, it's a fun movie. It's getting get more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, obviously it's 1957 creature features, so there's obviously some limitations to deal with, but it's, it's I, I still kind of look like a fun. penis, too. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, you're giving everything away. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's uh, that's episode 15 of Creature Comforts. Uh, no More Room in Hell presents the Crystal Lake Gift Shop is a new show that we've started since the last episode of the main show. Uh, that's with Mike and myself, where we were basically doing a episode-by-episode episode retrospective of the Friday the 13th series that aired from 1987 to 1990. We've done three episodes of that uh, so far. Uh, Lacey Lou has been a guest with us twice, the last two episodes. So check that out. Episode four should get recorded within the next couple of weeks here. Um, not sure on a guest on that one yet, but we'll see. But uh, what else do we have? Uh, Fresh Cuts, obviously, every single week. Um, I think we've only missed like two episodes in the last two years. I think Mike said we did 51 episodes in 2022. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, recently I got COVID, so we had to miss an episode there. Uh, I'm not sure what movie we even had planned to do that episode, but yeah, we did miss one episode. But we are back on our regular weekly schedule for Fresh Cuts. Those episodes usually drop early in the week, Tuesdays or so, so check those out. Um, obviously, oh, uh, what are we doing in the next episode? Uh, did we did we decide on Spoonful of Sugar? I think current, I think the latest is it's going to be that because yeah, I know you have a bunch of theatrical stuff for you, but I checked and most of it's not even playing up here. Yeah, yeah, man, I got I got horror movies playing in theaters this week. I've I didn't even know we're coming out. Like I had, I had forgotten about the children of the corn remake. Apparently that drops this week. Um, I know a spoonful of sugar is sitting there on shutter, but I know, uh, the outwaters was just made available too. So that's one that's that I've been waiting option. for too. Yeah. So yeah, that, that maybe so that's, that's also be an option. Is Julie yeah. Andrews in a spoonful of sugar? <laughs> you wish. <laughs> 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 but sugar helps the horror movie go down. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, the big one, at least the big one for this season in a couple of weeks, we got Scream coming out March 10th. So that'll be our second episode in March for Fresh Cuts. I'm sure oh, that'll boy. end up being a long one. Whenever whenever a really big horror release comes out, we end up you know, either having a guest or just having a more extended conversation about it than usual. So. I would I would anticipate the scream episode will probably be a little be a, a little in depth, so we'll see. And if I end up disliking it as much as last year's scream, uh, maybe it'll be a shorter episode. We'll see. <laughs> like anyway, red right hand. <laughs> and then, um, as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, various guest spots on stuff like Dark Parade, uh, Cuts of the Chase. Um, I did do an episode with Don on his horror countdown podcast where uh, we looked at um, our, our top 10 favorite Spanish language horror films. That makes sense for me. I am a Spaniard and I love my Spanish horror. So that made sense. So, yeah, like I said, various guest spots. But as far as main shows that I'm on, it's just the four No More Room in Hell uh, shows. You know, I spoke earlier about In the Mic of Madness. Rest in peace. Um, but, yeah, that's it. That's it for me, Mike. All right, uh, what do you got, Derek? No more room in hell. No more room in hell. Creature comforts. That's it. Hell yeah! Listen to those shows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hell yeah! For get me, our numbers up. <laughs> I know. For me, uh, I, I think your guys' numbers on YouTube are actually pretty good since I've been putting it on there. You can always check, but last time I checked. 
at least like, the the last episode or two uh, are doing good. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, as far as mine goes, uh, Venom's pretty much mentioned everything that I got that's going out. Fresh cuts. Latest episode is on Cocaine Bear. Uh, <laughs> Crystal Lake Gift Shop. Uh, I, I feel like Lacey could potentially become a de facto third host only because <laughs> she seems interested in the show enough to where she's probably going to frequently guest as long as scheduling allows it. I don't know if it'll quite be like the Don and Nelly situation where he just kind of ended up as a third I'm host here. of Fresh Cuts. So I, uh, hey, that's how I ended up being the third host of this show. That's right. Yeah, After I mean, Corey left. Yeah, exactly. Like a like a an anthology show like that. It's always nice to have guests, but if you have one person that's always willing to come back, it's it's easier than reaching out every single episode. But hey, we'll we'll see. Uh, we're we're very early into that one. Um, yep. Yeah, we, and yeah, the other show. What's that one? The, uh, make Mike watch a movie. Oh, watch this movie, Mike. Yeah, I got a few of those out. You got about your own show? I'll, <laughs> I'll be booking another one. Uh, it's funny because a couple of people have actually asked me about that, and I was like, okay, well, I guess that's a sign that I should start booking more episodes of that. Yeah. So, yep. <laughs> so I'll be uh, reaching out to people for episodes of that. But other than that, yeah, check all our stuff out. Uh, we're on Dark Discussions Network. We are also YouTube. If you look up No More Room in Hell podcast, I added the the word podcast to the end of it because there's actually an, I just found out there's another No More Room in Hell account that has nothing to do with uh, any of this stuff. So I, I added it just to just to make it uh, or just to put a distinction there. Um, but, yeah, go sub to that and you'll get all our new stuff as it gets uploaded. Um, but, yeah, other than that, uh let us know uh, what you think. Since this was a movie or an episode about our favorite movies, once this gets posted, listen to it and let us know what your favorite like all time movies are. Because I am interested. Because you know, there's going to be probably some younger listeners that are like, "You like what as your best movie?" And they'll they'll tell us we're crazy. So I, I I'm curious to see what other people. My have favorite to say. movie is Jordan Peele's Nope because it has a <laughs> giant blanket in it. <laughs> 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 all right well with that uh i don't know derek's on the east coast he might be hitting the giant blanket after this to uh <laughs> go to bed Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> all right cool thank you everybody for listening i know it's been a while where we're gonna try to get them out more frequent from this point on so thanks everyone we'll catch you probably in a couple of weeks with a new episode of no more in hell until then let's say bye to our listeners Sally! Don't invite Captain Howdy into your house. Don't pick up hitchhikers. Especially in Texas. Do you know where my tool is? (laughs) Peace. Shark!